This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Evan. We're going to talk about Rage uh, by Stephen, I mean, Richard Bachman, a.k.a. Stephen King, um, written under the title Getting It On, which um, <laughs> makes a lot more sense given what's going yeah. on in the book. He says that a lot. Um, it, yeah, it, like, this, it's not what I thought it would was, be. Yeah, this is like famous for the school shooter mm-hmm. book. And it is a school shooter book. But it's it's only two people. It's and only two people. Like, I thought it'd be a lot more shooting <laughs> and a lot less group therapy sessions. Dude, it's like the breakfast club where the teachers yeah. get shot and the kids are in in <laughs> uh, the principal's office. <laughs> it's very uh very you know, Stephen King it reminds me a lot of uh like Lovecraft working as and Philip K. Dick was sort of working his, his real life problems out in his books. I didn't think about like Stephen King as being like, uh, I don't know, psychologically traumatized by growing up, but clearly that is the case. Well, you case. don't get that sense when you read like on writing. That's his, mm. that's the closest we get to an autobiography. Mm-hmm. I mean, down to macabre, but that's mostly like what he consumed. Right. It's a biography of movies he watched and stuff, but. On writing has some biographical issues, and he wasn't. I mean, he wasn't. Uh, he wasn't picked on or bullied, as far as I know. Um, but he was. Mom, but he was right? witness. He was witness. And the thing is, yeah, is I, think, I mean, I, I assume that schools are quite different today, just based on what my interaction with young students today, um, and you know the way the media reacts. I I, I don't spend my time literally in high schools or elementary schools or junior high schools pretty much at all since I've been out of, the, you know, out of the institution. But I get a lot of, I talk to a lot of young people and it is not like it was in the sense that there were people getting the shit kicked out of them um, after school, in school, bullied. I, I think that that still happens, but I think it's way less. And uh, it's... um been a while for me too since i've been there yeah but uh, but then again you're teaching in one right so yeah well it's here there's nothing it's completely different right but even when i was in school in the 80s Mm -hmm. like i got a little bit of like psychological kind of bullying like dude it's an it's an institution but but nothing serious but Um, i think about how you know Never a fight or anything like that. Yeah. How if there was somebody uh, bullying you, um, the, the teachers are the prison guards. You don't, you don't, you don't, even though, you know, you're being bullied by the other prisoners, you don't squeal. And maybe that's yeah. because um, it, it will just come back to punish you because you're still going to be in the institution the next, the next day. It really is a prison. And that is, yeah, go for it. Especially in these early books, Mm -hmm. uh, he's really kind of obsessed with bullying, actually. Yes, he is. It's almost, I mean, I even think, like, I think it is by far his 
best book, and it mm-hmm. holds up as his best book after all these years. But, I mean, some of the bullying there, it's almost comical. There it's kind of explained because the whole town is kind of sick, you know. But Carrie, it, mm-hmm. his, his first book that they published, this is the first he wrote, but the first that he published has over-the-top bullying. You know, when you read it now, even Carrie seems kind of unrealistic. And, like... <sighs> No. I know King has this idea of like this pervasive evil, and I think one thing that makes Bachman books different than like Stephen King books is like in the Stephen King books, good sort of wins at the end. <laughs> there's a it's a glimmer of hope, but often it's it's straight up victory, uh, maybe at huge cost, but usually there's a victory for good. Um, but in the Bachman books, it's more neutral or just brutal, and you know the, the world's just as horrible. In the Bachman books, as they are in King books. How many Bachman books are there? Because I think I've read. Well, there's the four. There was four that were published in the original Bachman book collection that has the skulls. Okay, uh, that's the uh, one I had and lost when I was a kid. That that's I think a cover of the Long Walk. Okay, so Rage is. I'm look. I'm looking at the bibliography. Rage is the first one, yeah. 1977. The Long Walk, which I've read as well. Roadwork, which I've not read. That's the 81. Running Man 82, yeah. I've read that. And then, and then there's Thinner. Then there's Thinner, Thinner mm-hmm. which was published separately. And I think that might be the last before he was outed as Bachman, or maybe it was after. Um, but that's also... We get the regulators. Really I mean, the final scene of that, that book is the family eating this pie that's going to curse the whole family. Nice. Um, but then we got... Then there's, if, I think... Then uh, there's uh, Regulators. Which it's actually one of his best books. And one which of is like a parallel books. book? To... It's parallel to Desperation, but not really. It just uses some of the same characters okay. and puts them in a different context. It's it's a very different type of story. And then Blaze. Uh, it's all about, It's actually a kind of Philip Dickian. It's, it's, it's one of his more Philip Dick-ish huh. novels where you got like folding realities. It's basically a malevolent entity can change people's realities. Interesting. And he throws in all this other pop culture stuff, like stuff the demon sort of watches on TV, as I recall, or other things from popular culture become, you know, weapons against this isolated town. And then there's Blaze. I think Blaze was public, were written around the time of the earlier Bachman books, but he was sort oh, of really? in a shoebox. Wow. That came out. So I think that's all of them. Yeah. Um, uh, I haven't read Blaze. You know, there's a, an official photo of Richard Bachman that's not Stephen King. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting because, you know, it, it comes up in this book, this first uh, Bachman, pub- I don't know if it's the first one written, but uh, first one published. Um, Richard Stark and Donald Westlake, who obviously were a great influence on, mostly Stark, <laughs> influence on Richard Bachman, given that the name is taken from that. And uh, isn't the mom here in this story? constantly playing the piano everything comes out like Bach oh yeah that's, that. yeah that's interesting there's a lot of, of things to catch of course Stark is the name of the of the pen name of a of a writer in the dark half mm-hmm. um, so there's this book he writes in the 90s called the dark maybe the early 90s called the dark half mm-hmm. where you have a, a guy trying to be a respectable literary author Mm-hmm. He's trying to be a literary author. I think his name's Thad Beaumont. And, but he writes these 
Donald Westlake style crime novels. Yeah, um, I, I saw the movie adaptation, what, TV movie and adaptation. That guy's name is Stark. It's right, not Richard Stark. No, couldn't, that'd be too direct. But it's also it's a Stark, so he steals that name. He's definitely playing with the idea, and I I think that revelation that comes to the father um, when I don't know if it was the son. Somebody told the the father that that uh, these Richard Stark novels are actually just half of one person's reality and that the the other novels are cr- comic crime right the father's a marine recruiter or maybe navy recruiter yeah. i can't remember um and then the the father doesn't like the author anymore <laughs> doesn't like richard <laughs> stark anymore um there's a hell of a lot of psychology going into this it's very weird yeah it's a very strange book and uh, I don't know. I, 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 it is a school shooter book and it does a good job of trying to understand why this stuff happens, which it does a lot. Um, I mean, too much, but to me, it was school shootings make a lot of sense actually <laughs> because it's an institution. Um, you put somebody in an institution and you say you can't leave. Um, they're going to try and escape. And if they can't escape, they're going to lash out. Um, it's like an animal in a cage. It doesn't want to be there. Yeah. Um, and it's the centerpiece of people's, young people's lives. It more is. More so than even parents. It's like, you know. Parents love kids, them, hopefully. My kids spend probably a couple hours with their parents. And this is in China, so it's worse. But even when I was growing up, it was like my parents started to worry if I was like, like even if I didn't show up for dinner, it was kind of okay. They knew where, you know, I was in a smaller town. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whatever, you'll, you'll come back. There's never any worry about where I'd be. So you see your parents an hour in the morning, maybe on weekends, a little bit at night. You're usually in your room. But you're eight hours a day or nine hours a day at school. And yep. If you do have rage inside you or, you know, some hostility, of course that's going to be projected at where you are. At your guards yeah, and at yeah. the, at your fellow prisoners. And the thing is, is I, I understand, I, I understand it. I started re-listening to the beginning and the, the math teacher, um, you know, the, the narrator, the viewpoint character does have something wrong with him. Um, there's something wrong in his brain. Um, but he also has grievances that are to do with him being in an institution and also being a teenager, um, being sexually frustrated and being traumatized by what his parents are mostly his dad, I guess did. Yeah. Um, (laughs) and of course, Stephen King is very good at these observations about like how things people say and do haunt, people um and this character is definitely haunted he also feels like he's too grown up um but i also know that looking back at the time when i was uh you know grade 11 or 12 i thought i was particularly sophisticated (laughs) so maybe that's not the case well when i go when i did the stephen king reread 
I guess it's like five years ago or four years ago I started it, and I did it twice since then. Actually, I skipped Rage both times, though. So this was my <laughs> first time getting back to it. Uh, because I didn't have the text I, when I bought mm-hmm. a copy of the Bakken books. This isn't there anymore. That's so, right. Yeah, I just, um, but, I mean, maybe that's a complaint of, of towards King. I don't know if it's been ever stated. But it's something I sometimes felt reading. It's like his kids are a little too grown up. Like, that's... Like, I noticed when they did the movie It, the, the, the new movie It, mm-hmm. they aged the kids up. They were like 14. Okay. And I, that, that I, I thought, that's a really bad idea. Because uh, a whole part of that is about magic. Right. And things that 11-year-olds believe are not things that 14-year-olds believe that's anymore. That's correct. So you miss that whole part of it. And that's why one reason I think that movie failed. Mm. Both parts ultimately failed. But, but even when you're reading, like, when you're reading it now, you're thinking, are those thoughts what an 11-year-old or a 10-year-old would have? Mm-hmm. There's another novel he wrote all about it, like a 10- or 11-year-old kid lost in the woods. Mm-hmm. The girl who loved... Uh, Tom Gordon. Tom Gordon. That's it. And she has thoughts that you think back that's a little bit mature for uh, a little kid. But is that me as an adult infantilizing young people? Yeah, well, uh, if, if we think of how old these these kids are, grade eleven or twelve, I think maybe. Yeah, these 12. are. Like, yeah, they're basically adults. In they're basically adults. Society, they'd be adults. That's right, and at some point, <laughs> at some point, you know, you have to graduate, leave the institution, um, be released, and it's too late. <laughs> In this case, it's too late. It's uh, it's. I think there's a lot of truth in this book, which is weird because you know obviously it's not a true story, um, and I, I hadn't thought about it before. Like I, I don't read a lot of Stephen King, but I, you know, he's so pervasive in the culture. His movies are everywhere, TV shows, and you know, books, audiobooks, everywhere. Um, I hadn't thought about what he did with characters who were insane before, but obviously, um, we've got uh, the most famous, The Shining. Um, and, uh, the father figure here is is not insane. He's just kind of horrible. (laughs) And yet the the, the genealogy of, of evil, Mm. another, I think King trope, like in the shining, this isn't in the movie. The movie is of course very different. And and King's complained about this himself. Mm -hmm. You know, the whole characterization of, uh, you know, of the antagonist. Is that, I mean, in the in the book, the antagonist is, are, is the hotel, right? Right. The guy's just a victim. But there's still bits of him, right? He breaks his kid's arm. Mm-hmm. He's an alcoholic. And that's all from his father, mm. right? The, even the wife, Wendy, she's got mother issues and family issues. It, of course, it's all about the cycles of horror. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. every, thir- every 28 years, this comes back. Well, that's a generation, right? It's, mm-hmm. Carrie, I mean, the real villain of that story is the mother mm-hmm. who is, you know, brainwashing her daughter to believe she's essentially a witch and, you know, cursed and things like that. So it's that's another like there's so much in here that you just like, oh, that's something King grappled with for decades after mm-hmm. writing this. And this was written way back when he was in high school himself. This really? Was, this was written initially like in the late 60s. Wow. 
So this was in a box for a while. This well, is- it must have been updated because, you know, there's there's very contemporary references. Uh, he talks yeah. about the movie Jaws in the opening, how the teacher, the teacher, the math teacher is a monster. Um, literally, yeah. she's got claws. She she chases him down the hall after he, uh, you know, uh, on his way to burn his locker and get his gun. Um, but then he's realized he thinks she wasn't even there. Right, that that he's being haunted by uh, visions or images, and uh, and so it's interesting that he doesn't attack the students. Right, I mean he he holds them hostage and stuff, but he he sees them as fellow prisoners, and yeah. they're not just prisoners of the institution of of education, you know, official schooling, but in, it's like uh, the prisoners of their nation, like. The stuff about the military is really interesting. And they're also prisoners of the community, but more importantly, they're prisoners of the religion and the, the social stigma of being a slut. And the, it, there's like a, lo- a ton of societal pressure. And what's interesting is most of the book is, is backstory, right? It, they're mm-hmm. sitting around telling stories about it's like almost like a ghost story. <laughs> He's sitting around a ghost story, telling yeah. ghost stories on a camp. But, but he actually takes on the role of the, he kills the teacher and then sits in her chair and then takes on the role of teacher and they get it on. And I'm like, what, what's this going to be? Um, and it isn't, uh, literally having sex. It's, it's like getting on with their, getting past maybe is a better way of putting it, getting past all the bullshit. And the horror that is the secrets that are hurting and making their lives miserable. Well, one thing I thought of is this is almost how like modern, like people who graduate from education school these days, and mm-hmm. I, I meet some of these in my work, so I talk to them about pedagogy and what they're taught. Mm-hmm. This is like the industry standard of pedagogy now. It's not you stand up there and you talk. It's, mm-hmm. it's what do you think? What do you mm-hmm. think of this text? Let's engage on this. Let's, you know, bring in different perspectives. You know, he's a better teacher. Oh yeah, he had <laughs> in, in this in a modern pedagogical like frame of mind that what a teacher should do is just facilitate learning among students, and they should take the leadership in presenting the ideas and giving their points of view. In the end of the novel, there's a a letter from Joe. The friend, what's it? I can't remember Joe's last name, but it was something interesting. Um, who says I'm at BU now, I guess Boston University. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking of majoring in English. Um, the teacher gave us this book to read and it was really good. And it was the post, I think it was the postman always rings twice by James M. Kane, which yes. is very much yeah. like this book. Uh, except that, that, that's sort of a thriller of adults and cheating and, the bad guy's the main character, right? And he's kind of stupid. Um, but the, f- but the feel of it being raw and, and short. <laughs> this is a short book, only 211 pages, it says on the Wikipedia. It's only just over five hours in the audiobook, which is the only way I could get a hold of it. Um, unless I, I think that they're probably yeah, very yeah, expensive. Yeah, I listened to one long walk. <laughs> Interesting. On that that other book, The Long Walk, um, that was a big surprise too yeah. when I read that. 
that's another Bachman book, and it's about high school students who are they forced to? I think they're forced, right? Like no, it's, it's totally chosen voluntary. by lottery. It's totally voluntary. Oh, is it voluntary? No, it's voluntary. Okay. But everyone applies. So, as I recall, like it's it's kind of like only a hundred people do it each year, and they're sort of randomly selected. But if you uh-huh. want to drop out at any time, even within a day, you can drop out and wow. go to the, the the reserves. But one interesting bit there is like virtually everyone fills out that form right. to sign up for the long walk. It, it's you know, that's what you're expected to do. It's um, and then there's like a physical checkup. And you have to you have to get through different hoops to, to be qualified it, for the long walk. It reminds but, me that it's it, it's again it it's to do with the draft, right? It's to do yeah. with, and, and that's that's something that's looming over this story. Um, mm-hmm. the 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 war. I'm not sure what war it is that the father was in, and his hunting buddies. And the the guy who sells books to the school, who who the main character is a friend of, kind of, even though you know his dad's a creepy fuck. Um, but yeah, that that book is really strange. It begins in Maine, and then they walk uh, to California, and they can't stop walking. It, 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 it's, no, it, it's. It's they just they actually walk south to Boston. Boston, you know? okay. Just, they have walk. You have to walk. I think it's four miles per hour or three mm-hmm. miles per hour the whole time. If you go below that, you're warned. If you go below it a few times in an hour, they they kill you. Mm-hmm. But there's no endpoint. It's just however long it goes. Oh, whoever uh, whoever is the first uh, doesn't yeah. die. <laughs> the last two doesn't die. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's life, though. It is. It's just a metaphor for life. It is. We go on until we're... we're it's very dark. Of, of, of our age group. I think it's a darker book than this. This is a dark book, but uh, the darkness is at the beginning, right? Like, it, it, it transforms itself rather oddly. And that's what's so weird about it is it's a, is that I think... I'm not trying to psychoanalyze King, but you know, he, he did write a thing about why he withdrew it. Um, but if you've got a, one of these in your locker and you're considering, <laughs> you're considering going into your school and shooting up your school because, you know, you read this book, things aren't going to go the way you expect <laughs> if you read this book yeah. because it's kind of, it's kind of like a play. It doesn't make any sense that the students would, would, cheer on this this killing and and maybe not cheer it on wholly but eventually come to think you know we actually learned here something today which is not well, a trackball theory about that yeah go for it's, it it's wrong well, um again this is like having read all of king relatively recently and quite a lot of it it's like that's another trope of his is this like seductive leader Mm-hmm. You have it in like the dark half. You even have it in like under the dome, like the a political figure mm-hmm. that's able to kind of. I mean, uh, the best example would be Randall Flagg in The Stand, mm-hmm. right? Some perverse figure who's able to get people to go along with them, right? Mm-hmm. And pretty much, I think most of those characters shine in some way, even if it's not explicitly stated. Shine as in. My in- mind, yeah. That they have some kind of psychic power. Right? Mm-hmm. That's in most of King's books, some kind of psychic ability. Right. 
So I guess one reading of this for me, kind of, I don't think this is what King intended, but kind of when you retcon it in the context of his other work, I think Decker shines and he's able to captivate his audience. Had he not gone on this shooting spree, he probably would have been a pretty good politician, perhaps. Or, mm-hmm. Well, he's very, he's very um, uh, self-aware, which, you know, I think is helpful in some cases. Yeah, um, yeah you need a lot of backstory thinking about your past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a very, like, good book, too. A, like, interesting book. But um, given that we we've got... This institution, what, what what's the line they, uh, peculiar institution is they talk about? Yeah, that's about slavery. <laughs> right. But, but, but the thing is, is this peculiar institution is ongoing. And, and, and the other thing that makes me worried is that it's, it's global, right? There is no, uh, place where they say, you know what? Let's not do schools like this. Um, so me, when I'm, I'm tutoring. Um, I might not, I might not know my student's name, but I'm relating to them individually. It's because I have so few students, you know, maximum I ever have done is like a whole classroom for, full of kids. It's a very different kind of teaching than, than, uh, you know, one on one or one on two or one on four. One on four is way harder in some senses than one on one. Um, or even one on two, one on three. It's like the, the, um, ability to get inside the kid's head and make sure that they understand what you're trying to show them so that you can keep going and show them something else because it's a lot of building, right? You're building up, uh, skills. You're also building up, um, information that will be useful, um, Literally, I think a lot of it is like teaching them to ride bikes, except with sentences or teaching them to ride bikes with analysis or teaching them to, you know, compose paragraphs and um, use the, the, the magic words. You know, it, it, it's like a skill set that you're trying to impart. And the bigger the classroom, the it, the less able a teacher is to get inside the head of the student. And so you have a roll call, right, in this class where they go through the list to see who's there. The kids know better than the t- the teacher who's not there because for them uh that's a kid who escaped for the day, right? Whereas for the teacher, you know, they're they're prison guards. They go home at night. Um this is their day job. Well, the kids, that's their life. So there's something about um, the horrible, peculiar institution. I, and I'm sure that, you know, this is, it's not always horrible. I've had good teachers. Um, <laughs> I really have. But there's a lot of it is just like the fact that you're forced to be there. So for me, uh, you know, elementary school was, it was a thing and it was traumatizing, but I was really young. So I didn't really know what I was, you know, I had no experience, <laughs> nothing to drop on to say why or what was happening to me. So when things went wrong, 
I just had to keep going because I didn't know there was any other options. But by the time you're in junior high school, I was like, fuck this shit. I'm out of here. And I would skip anything I didn't want to go to. Well, you're not allowed to do that. I learned that the hard way. And then I figured out how to game the system to get through it. But school was punishment for me until I went to university. And I'm like, well, this is completely different. And the reason it's completely different was, first of all, I'm in charge. I say what teacher I want. I don't want that one. That one sucks. I'm dropping this class. I'm going to take this guy. This guy knows where what the score is. Or more importantly, he can teach me something. And I would use that and not be shamed by the fact that, you know, it's so interesting. They take an exam at the beginning of the the book and the the uh, Decker, he gets um, a good mark and so does uh, one other kid. But all the other kids are dressed down. And the teacher is mean about it. It's like, you idiots. Like, you are imperfect. Right? And, well, that's because you have to take a test. When I have a student and I've taught them something, there's no test. I might say there's a test, but it's not a test. It's just, you know, I'm making them feel like there's a test by saying the word test. But what I'm just doing is getting them to practice the things that I showed them so that they feel like, oh, they're going to be ready for when they actually have to do this in a, in a more uh, horrible environment. And then I know their skill set. And I say, aha, uh-huh, but you forgot about the one thing. What did you forget about? And they look through the thing and I said, I highlight this, the section and they, yeah, and they'll know it because I know what's going on in their head because I'm modeling what they're doing in my own head. And I say, okay, this is this thing that they're missing. So, I can highlight it. You can't do that with a whole classroom full of kids. You have to sort of put it out there, ask them if there's any questions that they have, and if there's no responses, you mo- you have to move on. But they're, the kids aren't going to tell yeah. you. They're not yeah, going to yeah. say, I don't know. And sometimes they don't, they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. It's, it's impossible. I mean, it is impossible. I mean, you're talking about four being difficult. Okay? Mm-hmm. Twenty, and I have I have thirty five in a history class, and it's a, it's a disaster. It is I, a you disaster. Just simply can't teach world history with thirty five kids in the class. Twenty is at least conceivable that you can somehow get a handle on each <laughs> kid where they're at. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, there are some teachers who are capable of doing great work in a classroom, but they can't do it all the time, even. Like, uh, I had a grade 5 teacher who I really liked. Um, turns out she was actually a friend of my mom's, and I was friends with her kids. You know, we played Dungeons & Dragons together. <laughs> she was a great teacher. But she wasn't always a great teacher, because sometimes she wasn't focusing on me. She was focused on some other kid, um, and that's exasperating for her. Um, and... Uh, you know, it's because your your attention is so divided. And the thing is, is this is it's it's weird because if you think about how normal animals work, right? They have their mom, their mom, like a mammal, like a, I don't know, bear. Uh, it models how to eat stuff. Like, let's go over to these blackberry bushes and we'll eat this for a while. And they hang out with their mom for a couple of years, 
and then they sort of drift off, right? And then, then they have their own skill set. That's they're done. There's no school. <laughs> obviously, obviously, this is the case, right? Even a school of fish don't, you know, learn together. <laughs> That's not why they're called a school of fish. It's because they look like, you know, a class. Um, a flock of birds, you know, they, they're, they're strength in numbers, a herd of sheep, right? But they aren't literally being taught pedagogically <laughs> by a teacher. And so what we're doing kind of is artificializing, institutionalizing a, a thing which should be about parents loving their children and teaching them the skills that they have and artificializing it so that we've got an artificial parent at the front telling us how to do and modeling everything. And sometimes they're horrible. <laughs> and mostly I, I it's because their litters are too big. I, mean, I think it's more malevolent than even you're suggesting. Go for it. I think a whole a huge part of and I, I teach in a public school mm-hmm. so, um, these days. Kind of not totally by choice, but. It's not my. We're we're all subject to the capitalism that we're in. Yeah, but it's obviously teaching people the lessons they need in the world. One is that that like your pay determines how valuable you are. Mm. Just grades in high school. Mm -hmm. In real quote unquote real world, real life, it's it's your pay, right? So you're taught, oh, that guy makes a million billion dollars. Must be way better than me. Elon Musk. He must be a genius. Because he's so rich, <laughs> or uh, he's successful, right? He's made it in life, right? And you know, it's it's like just the extension of grades, or that the teacher has the right answer, right? Mm. The right answer is in the back of the book, and and your answer is probably going to be wrong, or the way you do it mm-hmm. is probably going to be wrong, right? Like showing your work is so much of that is like teaching students, like in for math showing your work it's do it this way mm-hmm. if you don't do it this way you're doing it wrong even if you get the right answer right which i think it's just trains us for the industrial that what i'm trying to get at is it just trains us for capitalist industrial society for obedience and to, the, the sec- to the system and the second thing it teaches yeah obedience is a big part of it obviously but the other thing it teaches us is like and this is where like the humanities contributes a lot I- i'm sorry to say it's like it teaches the nation. It says, mm. here are your heroes. Here's our nation's greatest writers. Uh, you know, so if you're in American high school, you're taught, uh, I guess you're taught maybe Melville S. or Hinton. Or Hemingway. <laughs> these are your great writers. Mm-hmm. And these are our national heroes. They're on the money. But I'm going to tell you why they're on the money. Right? So it's Hamilton, Washington, Jefferson, these people. Mm-hmm. And we can maybe expand the hero set as we become more woke, but <laughs> we're still telling students, this is who are great. This is your history, which is really weird for an immigrant culture. It's one thing to do that in France. It's, it's still as messed up to do it there, but at least there, there's kind of a, a deeper history. But in an immigrant society, mm. my, my people were German. They moved to America in the 1870s. It's like, but my heroes are like, Anglos who, I'm told my heroes should be Anglos who migrated there, you know, two centuries before my people with a totally different history. Did it's, you did you uh, hear about this S.E. Hinton um, Twitter thing that happened? 
No, I haven't heard anything. Okay, so, you know, S.E. Hinton is the author of uh, The Outsiders. Um, Very famous book taught in Canadian schools as well as American schools. There's a few others, Rumblefish. I don't know. And they're very slim volumes, and they're really good reads, um, which is why I think students like reading them and uh, and teachers like assigning them is because first they were assigned it, so they can reassign it. Um, and what's weird about it is, um, is that it, they're kind of about students, right? They're about young kids. Uh, the Outsiders is uh, kind of old fashioned. It's a, what we would call a JD novel, a juvenile delinquent novel, right? Um, but it's about a family of boys and their relationship to each other and their society. And it's a really good, it's a really good read. Um, but recently somebody tweeted at S.E. Hinton, who's apparently alive. Uh, and said, please consider writing a graphic novel version of The Outsiders. My students love your novel. And I know I could engage more readers who are reluctant and striving with a graphic novel version. Thank you for your beautiful work. And S.E. Hinton says, no, <laughs> The Outsiders is the first book many people can read in their life. And it shows them they can read a book, not that they can turn the pages off on a graphic novel. And I'm really torn. <laughs> Because I think what she's saying is absolutely true. And I also think uh, a graphic novel version would be fine. But she's a snob in that she thinks that uh, graphic novels are somehow lesser than uh, novels. And maybe that's true if we're going to do a hierarchy of art. <laughs> but I don't think novels are at the top of that form either. I think short stories are. Um, or maybe novellas. Novellas have a lot of amazing things. Um, you know, plays are pretty impressive. There's also, you know, I, I, I definitely don't think, uh, TV movies are the very top of, of all media, but podcasts can be pretty amazing. So her, her objection here is interesting. Um, but I also think it's funny because her role with that book is actually um, to make kids not hate school by showing kids that school is totally hateable. <laughs> like, that book is not the equivalent of this in that there's no school shooting, but there are kids who are disrespecting um, the society and social system that has failed them in that book. And the way Stephen King writes and the way S.E. Hinton writes, they're both very good at making you empathize with people who are generally of good character, but in poor circumstances. (laughs) So I just thought that was, it was kind of like, if you've got, if you've got a teacher who hands out a whole bunch of uh, Richard Bachman books, which I don't think is going to happen that much, (laughs) especially this one, um, it would really change things. But if you've got one of these in your locker, which apparently I was looking at the school shootings list and why, why he had banned this self banned this book, which is very different from banning the book, but self banning the book is interesting. Um, apparently there were some, some shooters who had this book in their locker and what they're getting wrong is that it won't go the way they think it will. It, It won't, 
lift the scales from most people's eyes because this institution as peculiar and evil as it is is super pervasive it's not it, even though it should go away it is not going away it is i mean maybe it's away right now with the you know the way schools are sort of half online and half not online half in in person i but in general i don't think this institution is going to be gone in 50 years it probably should be um i don't know what how you fix it replace it um i've you know well, technological changes the interesting but. thing about the this is mm-hmm. it's like the prison and you know have you got have you ever have you ever read the the works of foucault Mm-mm. the philosopher the french no. philosopher he's always talking about institutions mm-hmm. i won't get too much into him but his big thing is about modernity and institutions and how they, they regulate the mind. And and he writes books about the, the prison. He writes books about like the asylum. He wrote books about, uh, he doesn't deal with education directly, but he does talk about how like schools were modeled off prisons, I think. Yes. And, and somewhere or other people maybe picked up on that. He talks like the, the asylum, the mm. hospital, the, the, the prison are like the three big ones he looks at, but also he looks at knowledge and how knowledge sort of gets tamed and organized and categorized in a way to serve, you know, modernity mm-hmm. in, in all its aspects, state, capitalism, industrialization, all those things. But, um, but the thing is like when I'll teach like the history of the prison, I don't do this now because I'm teaching high school, but when I taught college, I teach about the history of the prison you take a country like China and you say, here's the origin of the prison in China. And it's like, it's like 80 years old. Wow. I mean, there was experiments with prisons earlier. You always had jails. Right. Right. A jail's where you hang out until they decide to execute you or beat you, beat you or exile you or whatever they decide yeah. to do with you. Right. Right. There's always jails, but like a prison where you, where the prison, where the confinement is the punishment. Mm-hmm. That's very, very modern, even in the West. Right. It doesn't go back that far. It goes back a little bit farther. And this is another example of everyone kind of copying the West, as with public schools. Public schools also very, very new. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really a product of industrialization. It's like, we don't need kids on the farm anymore. They, you know, we passed child labor laws, so we don't want them in the factory. What are we going to do with them? So We take them out of the labor market and put them into a yeah. fake labor market. <laughs> but the point is, the point I'm trying to make is when you ask people, like, what's an alternative to prisons? If you ask young people in particular, what's an alternative to prisons? They, they have no idea. Mm-hmm. Even though for most of human history, we didn't have them. You know, what's an alternative to public school? Right. Who can think what an alternative Tutoring. way of achieving <laughs> those goals? Tutoring. Tutoring Plato's is. Acad- Plato's Academy. The yep. monastery. Yep. You know, there's all kinds of historical examples. Yeah, apprentices. Yeah, the cool thing about apprentices, what I always like about the apprentices, and I think about this sometimes, is with the student loan and free college Mm, debate. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's like in the old days, the work, like the the industry needed skilled workers. Mm -hmm. So the way they paid for this was they took in apprentices, Mm -hmm. and they cared for them, they fed them, gave them a place to sleep, and trained them. And then when they're old enough, they would be the next generation of cobblers or bakers or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Right. And then later on, when public schools get invented, right, that was 
and universities, a lot of that was funded by taxpayers, right? You had the land-grant schools. And even as late as, like, the boomers' generation, King's generation, university was largely paid for by tax dollars, mm-hmm. right? And now the bosses get a skilled workforce, and they don't pay for it at all because student loans. And an obedient, obedient workforce, And they say, too. well, student, it's... it's so when people talk about the student loan debate, they're thinking like, uh, you know, if you have a college degree, you should pay for it. It's like, it's never been the standard in human history. That's right. That people really pay for that. It was always the industry itself paid for it in some way. It's and, why the university feels so different, right? Then, like, university is yeah. much older than, you know, public high schools and yeah. elementary schools. And the, the institution doesn't care whether you do your homework or not. They do have exams, yeah. but they don't take attendance. Uh, or if they do, it's only the first day. <laughs> right? It's because it, the, the philosophy behind it is rather different. The lecture hall is not the same as the classroom. And you can feel it. it like walking in, sitting down. It is not school. It is school, but it's not the school that, you know, where they've got truancy officers which <laughs> it's never a thing up here um as far as i know um but hall hall passes right like that was uh, i had very little encounter with that but it if in the states they talk about um the uh the school to prison uh flow right so for yeah. black black people in the states um it's very easy to get on the wrong track um by being you know uppity in school um well that's going to get you uppity in society and that's going to get you into uh, another institution prison right it's almost it's it's like feeding it's a feeding system for prison and in canada uh you know residential schools and i i think they have them in the states too it's just up here it's a huge deal right residential schools were super evil where you take kids out of their community away from their parents away from their language you punish them for speaking anything other than english or french and you sexually abuse them and you uh, physically abuse them and you starve them and you uh you know ruin them as much as you can and the government says good job here's some more money hire some more uh priests and nuns hire some more pedophiles and keep going this lasted like a hundred years and the legacy is not good it it fucks up a, a society fucks up people so i think you know you can generationally heal uh in the sense that the traumas of Stephen King's dad on him are probably not passed on to Joe Hill and his sons as badly as they were, you know, but I also think Stephen King's, you know, did better than probably some other folks who, uh, you know, had other problems. The, what's so interesting is the, the society isn't just your parents. It's also the army, forcing recruitment or a guy to go out and recruit in your communities, get kids and send them off to the war machine. Right. And, and that's another institution. And 
<laughs> again, it's an institution where professional soldiers is like relatively new too, right? Where you have a standing army and you have to go off and do what the, uh, the army officer says rather than you've got some clans who get together and they agree that you know, this border incursion is a good idea because the uh, payback for last year or whatever. But then we got to go back to the farms or we have to go back to, uh, you know, protect our own community, get ready, gather food for the winter, that sort of thing. There's, uh, the, the legacy of institutions is incredibly, inv- in, you know, it, it, it gets deep inside. It's like roots that are hard to, hard to see, but are penetrating all sorts of layers of your psychology. And we don't, we don't know it because we're in that forest. We're surrounded by institutions. But I think culturally we're able to sort of interrogate this for one particular institution, largely because most of us don't encounter it. Mm -hmm. And probably even less of us encounter this institution than encounter like prison. And that's the asylum, right? Mm-hmm. I was, they just had a new, uh, TV series, which I watched. Ratchet? Uh, the Nurse Ratchet. Mm. Yeah. Which, I don't know. Watch it if you want, but. Uh, no, thank you. I, I kind of dug it. <laughs> um, but yeah, isn't the asylum like a go-to place for horror? Yeah. It's a pretty common place we return to more so than schools or prisons or these other institutions. It's, it's just because most of us probably won't encounter it. In fact, they've sort of been, I guess that's one they tried to reform out, right? Mm-hmm. They, they sort of changed it, like group homes and group therapy and all that. Well, it's because the abuses were so up. horrible. And when they were exposed, yeah. it couldn't stand, right? Because the. But the same horrors do exist in other institutions. It's oh, yeah. Maybe they're just, since we all go through it. It, it becomes kind of a, you're talking about generational healing. I think mm. it's a gener, generational kind of sensitivity or desensitization to how horrible it is. Mm-hmm. It's like my generation, I'm sure, sends their kids off to school. I, I'm doing something different with my kid. Yeah. She's being kind of co-op homeschooled. It's funny. When, when you think about. to a place every day. When you think about homeschooling. Teachers, but it's. And, there's no grades. There's nothing like that. When you think about homeschooling um, kids, um, the the default is that the parent is a religious nut, that the the that the parent is overly protective, that the parent is, um, you know, wonky or you know a hippie or something. But actually, it's kind of the opposite. Regular parents are sort of desensitized to they've forgotten how crappy school is maybe i I think school for some people is actually really not crappy (laughs) i think they think it's wonderful um but i don't think that the 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 majority i think a lot of people just think it's it's just a thing and it's something you have to do um but i've you know i've got relatives who have gone through school and uh, most of my relatives are teachers um, and they don't like it either, right? Like there's all sorts of things to hate about the institution. But if you have the ability to homeschool, you have the, uh, the ability to not put someone in this institution, 
Of course you're going to do it. Because the only seem, the only exception seems to be like politicians, especially in the States, right? They want to send their kid to a public school because that's a badge of honor. They could do it instead of the private school. I went to a public school. I suffered with all you plebs. (laughs) Kind of like joining the military if you want to. Yes, of course, which is no longer even necessary, right? Yeah, some people also do it. Buttigieg did it. <laughs> you know, I'm pretty sure he joined because he wanted to be a politician. Oh, I'm sure. I, I don't know for sure. But the, what really was interesting, and this I remember thinking and kind of thinking to myself about when I heard it, was during this COVID discussion about, you know, over the summer, like we got to reopen the schools. Mm. And schools, It's going to have an economic impact. But then some people were saying like, like imagine the psychological impact of kids not being able to go to school. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> I thought it's like, what kid is like in deep anguish over not being able to go to school? You know, South Park actually did this pandemic special, which is uh-huh. funny. Where for Cartman, you know, wants COVID to spread because he doesn't want to go back to school. Yep. So when he hears they're going to reopen the schools, he's pretty horrified by it. But I. I don't buy, I, like, the psych, it's like, children are being psychologically damaged by not going to school. Mm. I think, have they really thought about the psychological damage of going to school? Uh, Honestly, you can learn so, a lot just so by normalized. watching YouTube videos. It's, uh, and the thing is, we're all in the nut house. That's the thing. We're all in the nut house. Yes. You can't see what it's like outside of it. Yes. There is like a Philip Dick novel. <laughs> It's it's a very uh, interesting book. This book, I, I, I actually found the long walk incredibly depressing. Like it was just like a grind, like physically traumatizing, as these kids are traumatized in the walk and killed off and they'll ground out in the walk. It's like there is no liberation. Whereas this is a liberation book, right? Um, he is. <laughs> He gets it on, he gets free of the institution, um, and then he, you know, takes the scales away from the eyes of the other students, uh, but then he's sent off to another institu- institution, um, and they're talking about electrotherapy, right? Uh, electroshock therapy, and then oh, they're going to continue on with the drugs. But one of them was psilocybin, and like, oh, that's that's what everybody needs, apparently. I'm not a psilocybin pusher, but uh, if Marissa was here, I'm sure she would say, that that doesn't sound so bad. <laughs> you know? I mean, maybe megadoses would be bad, but um, we, have a, we have a problem with... Uh, my biggest issue as a, as a tutor is parent parental expectation. That is my most difficult problem because parents have expectations of what they think education is. Um, <laughs> but it, they don't, they don't always line up with what education actually is. So memorization is uh, something I never, ever, ever try to teach anybody, right? Like, you, sh- you just memorize this. And yet, I, I, you know, I learned my times tables. Um, I guess that's useful. Uh, six times seven. I can do that. <laughs> it, it wasn't fun. I, I learned it, but maybe there's a better way. And for most things, it's, you know, use is the better way. 
if you want to yeah. add this vocab to your list, start using those vocab. Uh, use them as frequently as you can. And sometimes it, it comes off pretty silly at the beginning, but eventually, you know, if you're practicing, you get the, the vocabulary to describe problems in the world that you would like to communicate. And that's great. That's a really good thing. <laughs> um, but it, it, if I gave you a vocab test, um, you're not going to like it. I'm not going to like it. Uh, we won't like the ranking. We won't like the public ranking. And, and yet the parental expectation is do this. And, uh, and the thing is, is it gets in students' heads too. And it, it actually hurts the ability of a student to, to learn because what they think is, oh, this is just another thing like, they become inured to um, education. Like it'd be like uh, you're in a prison, and uh, a new prison librarian comes in. And he has all sorts of ideas of helping you by telling you about all the great books there. But you've been forced to read so many horrible books, you just shut them down. You don't want to hear about it. But he says, "Hey, there's this great book called Her Age. You're really gonna dig it." It's as a guy by a guy named Richard Bachman. Um, but I don't want to spoil it for you. So that just shuts it down. <laughs> like really this idea of, um, of becoming institutionalized is what, what our hero, <laughs> I'm calling him a hero in this book is fighting against. And that mental illness thing that he, he's suffering from is a kind of collective mental illness that all the other students agree with, but he's his symptoms have gone too far, right? Like, but that the the thing is, is if he can't break, if he can't break the system, then what he did was just horrible. But the prison guards, you know, did they have it coming? I I don't think they did, because it's not really prison either, right? You're a teacher. You don't want to get shot, do you? I'm a I'm a tutor. I don't want to get shot. But yeah, but I mean, I'm like reflective on this. Mm-hmm. I don't like getting up at five a.m. But and I I do all kinds of stuff in the morning, like read the news and stuff. So I don't have to get up at five. But but I do. But I know the kids are overworked. I know, like, they don't have a life outside of school. My kids, anyways. Mm-hmm. And I know that's bad. I joked with a colleague. It's like, you know, sometimes how we should all be in jail for child abuse. <laughs> and they, they get they get annoyed with me when I say things. Like it was that. because it's too true. I, on some level, on some level, I think it's true. You know, but I'm just doing what I have to do to get my paycheck. That's right. But it's, this is one of those things that maybe, maybe not a hundred years, maybe a few hundred years down the road, maybe people will say, yeah, those, those overseers, <laughs> there's much to blame as the people who created the institution. Well, I, that's really like, I could have pushed harder to become a regular school teacher. And the reason I would want to do that is because as a union, it, 
in British Columbia is very strong. The pay is really good. The class sizes are not so bad, right? <laughs> they're big, but they're not as big as other places. Um, and I would be a good teacher. I know that because I'm, <laughs> I'm a good tutor. The problem is I don't like the restrictions. I really like the freedom of not, you know, following. Because what I would do is I would criticize the curriculum. And that's what I do. Right? I say, oh, this is a really good book. That's a shocker. Right? I was going uh, with, through a student was flying off to China, uh, to Korea yesterday. And she uh, she needed to get a bunch of books. Um, and we went through the, it was a English 10, right? And we went through all the things she needed. Um, she had to go to the, the chapters to pick them up. And like, there's four, four novels and, uh, a Shakespeare and, uh, a book of short stories, right? And like, most of the choices were quite good. Um, I've seen them before and I, I can't really criticize anybody suggesting Shakespeare because Shakespeare's amazing. It's really great. Um, but what I do criticize is what they're going to have to do, what the student is going to have to do with that information. After reading it, they have to sort of fill in the blanks. There's going to be essays, but it's actually far improved. Like, it, this online sort of schooling, which is available for students for years, I've been helping students for years do this, is now more per, more common and it's it's kind of like self-paced, right? So you have to do some collective stuff, you know, communicate with others, and, <laughs> and there's the teacher can help you. But really, it's just a list of, of books you need to read and then reflect on in your writing. And it is improved, right? That is better than what we've seen in the past in schools with here's a, a Shakespeare play, and now you have to fill in the blanks. Um, which character said this on page whatever? You know, there isn't one interpretation of what's happening in that play. And you have to guess what the writer of the exam said was the right answer. It It is improved, but that's with a self-paced online thing. And I think that's a great idea. Give us kid a stack of books and say, Hey, have a look at these. This is the reason you want to read this one. And I know you kid, you're really into uh BMX bikes. This book has got a guy who's racing motorcycles. You're going to dig this book, right? Really being able to say why it's a good book for them to be interested in. And then there's going to be kids who are not interested in reading at all. And uh, I guess that's sad, but why do we force them into this? You know, everybody has yeah. to be a novel reader. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that's the whole, that's a problem with grading. Like when I grade a, like a art history in class analysis, that's what we do a lot. Right. Mm -hmm. So she'll put a, put a piece of artwork on the screen or say, look at your book, do this piece. So you got 40 minutes to write an analysis, mm -hmm. you know, cultural, thematic, material, whatever you want to do, right? Usually all a little bit of all of it is preferred in our history. And some people do really well on it. Some people don't do, don't do that well on it. But, and I have to give a grade, right? Mm -hmm. I have to say, 
out of 20 points or whatever system I'm using. But if someone does bad on it, that's, that's the problem with grading. It like, it puts an evaluation on them. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really like judging, uh, a slug at how well it climbs trees. Right? <laughs> yep. Some people just have different abilities, right? That's right. Like, like this cartoon I saw where the all the animals of the jungle are are there, and they're, the teacher's a monkey, and there's some monkeys and an elephant and a tiger, all these different animals of the jungle. And the monkey says, like, oh, we're at the final exam. We're <laughs> all ready. It's going to be 50% of your grade. So we're going to, the final exam is going to be who can climb trees. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so the elephant can reach up into yeah. the trees, but it cannot climb them. Yeah. Yep. And uh, it's not like that we're all radically different, but what's so interesting is he chooses the, the math teacher. Um, because math is the, it, it was my hardest subject. I and, and literally, that's the reason I'm not. Uh, I didn't have to decide not to become a uh, a public school teacher because I I looked into it, and the problem was I, I didn't have the math. You have to have a certain level of math so that you could fill that slot if you needed to. And I I didn't graduate from high school because of math. I didn't get a you know a diploma from high school because I didn't have the math didn't stop me from going to university <laughs> didn't stop me from going to college but it it did stop me from and and the thing is is math is really important and really interesting but almost not to anybody anytime right yeah, yeah. I, I i if you're a sailor math. math is important especially if you don't have gps if you are an engineer you are going to need some math if you are a contractor you're going to need some math if you are a cashier you're going to need some math. But that's about it. Yeah. And a lot of that is not the math you you learn after 10th grade. Absolutely. Quadratic or equations. Right? Who's ever used the Euclid? <laughs> or an engineer or something like that. Listen. Or even if you are I think math, we should be teaching this at university. You never like, had to prove... Like, you know, angles on a triangle or something. That's right. It's, it's interesting. I... I, I dig the Euclid. I dig math. I dig it I too. Minor. But I'm, I've never used it. It's something we need to learn because it's interesting. That's what, what learning is like. This might be useful in our species at some point. So let's keep this idea and this system that we've invented that actually seems to have some bearing on reality alive. Absolutely, right? I'm for this thing. Just like history, I'm in, I'm for this thing. Let's keep it alive. But you don't have to be an expert on ancient Egypt. I can be that guy. You can be an expert on toilets, on how to manufacture them, or how to install them, or how to put roofs on houses, or how to feed animals, or keep them alive uh, as a veterinarian. You don't, not everybody has to be an expert in the quadratic equation. And what school should be is like a buffet where you've got like a whole bunch of subjects that everybody should try at least some of so they can see what they think of it. And when they get excited about a certain, uh, flavor of food, they can pursue it at a higher institution called university. 
Once, once you're introduced to these very useful concepts of subtraction and multiplication and division, um, we've got calculators. We can just outlay a lot of that to that and then keep the, the actual, I mean, what's so funny is in, in high school science, everybody does the same thing, right? We all dissect animals. We dissect, uh, cow eyeballs. We look at, uh, slides that are all prepared, but that's not science. That's introducing us to science. It's not literally science. Science can be done at universities where students participate in actual, you know, not, not, uh, you know, re-examining old, old, uh, ideas being brought up to that level, but actually pushing the boundaries of what we know and trying out how to make new vaccines and all sorts of amazing, you know, physics that can be, and math that can be experimentalized in these higher institutions. But that's not what you do in high school science. There, when was the last time some uh, high school student, you know, put out a paper that changed the world? That's not what you're doing. That's not your job. Uh, it, 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 it's so strange. I teach essay writing. That's probably the, my main thing. Nobody reads essays anymore. They read all sorts of things that are related to essays and they're writing. But the essay format was very popular in the 16th, 17th centuries, 18th centuries, and sort of declined recently. But it's not yeah. stopping the parents from demanding that I teach their kids essay writing when they're like five, they're in first grade and I'm going to teach them essay writing. I'm like, that's not where we're going to go, but I'll, okay. I'll definitely improve their vocab and help them with their sentence structures and stuff like that. So, um, it, it, we're all subject to this institution. So, I, I did, do you think Richard Bachman, aka Stephen King, do a disservice to humanity by self banning this book? Cause, uh, Oh, that's what I want. I definitely want to talk about this. All right. Um, I think like this book was kind of, first of all, as a school shooter book, mm -hmm. this is more of a student group therapy. Thing. <laughs> yeah. The bulk of the book, right? Mm hmm. Is this. Um, and yeah, he's a horrible person, Decker. He's got, he's got problems and yep. he's a villain of the story and, and he's just hard, I think foul language. <laughs> Um, so I was just watching like the, uh, Red Letter Media's reviews of, of all the Friday the 13th sequels. Mm -hmm. I did a video on that. Um, and great YouTube channel, by the way. Yeah, I agree. And I was thinking, cause I just did this, I've been thinking about rage and the self banning and the uh, school shooting stuff. It's like, did like no serial killer ever watch a slasher film mm -hmm. i mean should we ban slasher films because serial killers may have watched them no no i don't think we should and slasher films are awesome <laughs> well, I, 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 I think they're like, tolerable yeah they're, I'm uh, not, there's a lot of great like art in them and a lot of great uh special effects and, and some of the, the they're scary way they some of the way they do the the shots are really innovative. A lot of interesting stuff in slasher films for the 
ob- the close observer. <laughs> um, I the thing is that bothers me about this is like other King books are so much worse. Like App Pupil, which mm. will never be he'll never self spam App, App Pupil. Mm. App Pupil is way worse. And why not with this rise of the of the alt right, mm. you know, Nazi movements, the the new right, whatever you want to call it, emerging. And I know we disagree on how significant that that movement may be, mm. but there is there are neo Nazis. Like, oh, I'm sure that's true. What should we ban App Pupil? And that's a much more brutal look at a shooter. I haven't I haven't read that. I know there's a movie adaptation, but I haven't read that story. Read it, yeah. It's the guy who gets he finds out his neighbor is a, a Nazi who got away, and. They end up playing mind games with each other for most of the novel, and at the end, he just decides I'm just gonna just gonna shoot a bunch of people. Wow! And he gets a high powered rifle and he starts, starts shooting people, and that's how the novel ends. Wow! Novella, but it's, I think it's the longest one in that collection, so it's almost novel length. Um, that's worse. There's a lot of worse characters in other Stephen King novels, mm-hmm. like much more odious people than Decker. It's it's because this novel showed up in like the lockers of people who mm. did school shootings. It's, and I'm not sure that there's a connection. Like, did someone write down, like, I read Rage. And Look, I'm, do I'm not even sure. Or is it just he's a popular writer? Uh, he, yeah, I'm not sure. Even Stephen, but here's the thing. Stephen King even said something about this. Uh, this is from Wikipedia. In an article on the, this is quoting Wikipedia. In an article on the ominous, on the om, ominous writings of Virginia Tech shooter, shooter for Entertainment Weekly, King said, Certainly in this sensitized day and age, my own college writing, including a short story called Cain Rose Up and the novel Rage, would have raised red flags. I'm certain someone would have tabbed me as mentally ill because of them. <clears throat> so he's, he's somewhat aware that exposure to this, writing this kind of stuff, is not, does not make, is not itself evidence of a school shooter. All right. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I haven't read this essay, though. He, apparently, he wrote this essay. He did, not apparently, but he wrote this essay called Guns, mm-hmm. which I haven't read, in 2013, where he talks about why he let Rage go to print. But um, the statement that's a good thing, this is what he wrote in the preface to Blaze in 2007. He wrote, now out of print, it's a good thing. And I don't know if it's a good thing that it's out of print. I'm not convinced, but I want to hear, I want to read his whole essay, Guns, before I can say conclusively, but I don't know. I, 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 I read, um, I maybe understand why he did it, but I don't, I, does it save lives that this book's out of print? I don't know. The, um, do you, do you remember the Columbine High School massacre? Yeah, Okay, so I read this book. They sent it to me in the mail, and I'm like, this is not my bailiwick, you know, uh, called Columbine. It's by Dave Cullen, who was like a uh, journalist. Um, and yeah. he, uh, there, there was a oh, Michael Moore f- movie called Bowling for Columbine, which had footage from, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. which is a, it's a good movie, um, or documentary. Um, and, uh, this book, Columbine, is 13 hours, Blackstone Audio did it. It goes through everything, all the evidence, all that stuff. But what I remember from the 
period, when it happened, I remember them doing what they always do in the media, which is blame video games. Doom causes school shooting. And it is true that the kid played Doom, but so did I. And though I've thought about doing physical violence to people, I have not often done it. (laughs) Not since high school. Actually, not even high school. Junior high school or elementary school, where it was offered to me many times. I have not done a lot of physical violence towards people, despite playing violent video games quite often. Uh, When um, in the 80s, some university kid with a mental illness... uh, uh, disappeared they blamed dungeons and dragons because he had played dungeons and dragons oh yeah i remember the there was a tv movie with uh, tom hanks um showing him becoming mentally ill by playing dungeons and dragons because it's a fantasy game oh my god you're gonna not know reality these were concerns i would uh, tell my friends hey let's play dungeons and dragons and their parents were religious and they heard that Dungeons and Dragons was either satanic or caused you to become mentally ill. And they would argue with their parents that this was bullshit, but their parents would say they're not allowed to play. Um, so you it's know, easy. My pastor talked to me about this uh-huh. Dungeons and Dragons when I was young. My pastor talked to me. And I wasn't a big, I, I didn't do much Dungeons and Dragons compared to my friends. I did a little bit of it. I was really, but it was mostly novels I read. Mm-hmm. Like I had fantasy novels, like young adult style fantasy novels. Some of them were the Dungeons and Dragons. Well, they're C.S. Novels. Lewis. That's okay yeah. because he's religious. Oh yeah, of <laughs> but yeah, the pastor set me aside one day and said, you know, you, "This is you shouldn't do this, <laughs> Jesus." So I don't forget the whole speech. <laughs> Yeah, but it's a, it's another institution that has all these rules and it tells you what you got to do and it makes you feel these things. It's a very strong element in this book is the sexual repression, right? The the concerns yeah. of um, people's reputation within this within the church within the community, but also you know the concern you have as a kid. You don't know what the truth is. You have all sorts of people, adults, telling you all sorts of stuff. And I'm not a devil worshiper, despite playing lots of Dungeons and Dragons games. Not a devil worshiper, surprisingly. So uh, when I read this Columbine book, it was really a revelation because um, it isn't what what's on the news. It's what what actually happened. One of one of the things that actually happened was um, they said that the the two shooters. This is a folie à deux where two people um, go crazy rather than one, which is much rarer, right? Most school shootings are one kid, usually a boy, probably always a boy. Um, in this case, it was two kids, um, one one who was more of a, a leader and the other one who's more of a follower, but they both did it, uh, Klebold and Harris. And there was lots of warning signs, right? Um, and... When the police responded, they fucked it up real good because that's what the cops do. They're talking about school lockdowns. Like this, that doesn't happen in this book, right? They get the kids out of the school. Lockdowns are not a good idea. Um, but there's a kind of uh, mania for control and punishment of don't let the criminals get away. All sorts of like crazy sort of. 
unquestionable policies that, you know, the only way they're going to get fixed is by people saying, no, this is stupid. This is dangerous for a community. You're going to get people, more people hurt. Um, in the case of Columbine, they said that the kids had uh, played Doom. Um, yeah, well, except how about playing with guns, uh, buying guns, and uh, making explosives? Those are all warning signs, too. But the fact that, you know, he's he's got this hate for people, you know, extreme hate for people. That's the real scary part. And there's a, there was this one story about, uh, there's even a book and a whole TV interview thing about this girl who was killed. Um, they said the reason she was killed was because the shooter went up to somebody and asked, are you a uh, Christian? And she said, yes. And he shot her. Um, and it turned out not to be the case. Um, the person who got shot didn't have that asked of them. Someone else did. Um, he asked the question and he didn't shoot that person. Um, <laughs> it's crazy. Now, I, I didn't realize uh, my dawning of how the United States works, <laughs> uh, you know, population wise and, and all the things I didn't realize really what Colorado was until the school shooting. Um, at Col- Columbine, I knew it was a state. I, I guess Mork and Mindy was set in Boulder, <laughs> but other than that, I really didn't know what it was all about. But Col- uh, Columbine is in Colorado and Colorado is a big air force state and there's a lot of military action going on it you know a military education going yeah. on there this is the thing Moore really focuses on in that movie right? it, and 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 it's also a factor in the community in the book and think about Heinlein being located in Cheyenne or near Cheyenne right um there's a a kind of a weirdness to this mountain central state that is it's like a, a new western frontier um uh i think there was a mo- uh, batman movie shooting at a theater in colorado too so and one of my friends moved yeah. to colorado and was t- telling me what the geography is like and what the people were like and it's a different kind of state right than a lot of other s- states i guess they're all have their own character but if you've got a lot of institutions like religion and you've got a school and you've got a military and you've got a kind of sort of set beliefs and you don't fit into those and people are angry at you because you don't fit into those, then you can get resentment and resentment can build up. And if you keep people in those under those thumbs, they this is where I think the real the thing is, is. Humans, and especially boys perhaps, are good at uh, killing people because they have hands. And those hands can pick up guns, buy guns, and shoot guns. Um, they can also pick up machetes and go over to their neighbors and chop other people to bits. And the reason they do that is because, not because they individually have hate in their hearts, it's because it's one way to go, Right? There are times in your life, I'm sure, where you've restrained yourself from violence. 
but there are other times when you haven't. And the thing is, is it's, it's kind of like cancer. Um, if you have enough cells, you're going to get it and you can keep it sort of repressed most of the time, but sometimes it just goes wild. And so there's going to be these individuals out there who are, you know, influenced by things in their society. But I don't think Richard Bachman's book is the key to why those school shootings happen. Yeah. And I think that him thinking that it is, is understandable, but it also fits in with his sort of getting farther and farther away from that person who he, who he was. And, you know, it, what I've read of the three Richard Bachman books I've read, he was very angry. He was full of a kind of horror at reality in those three books that I read. And that is something he, if he has it, it's very, <laughs> he reserves his angry anger for Trump now, right? Um, which is a very well, different I, kind I of anger. He, if he had this when he was younger, I, I don't see it now in his work. No. But there's still horrible things that happen. Sure. And he's, draw, he's, he's drawing upon that. But yeah. uh, he's also drawing upon it from himself, right? This this viewpoint character is the it's the most important character in the book, but he's also mm -hmm. he's the most like the the author, I think. Yeah. So I, I it was not the book I was expecting. I didn't know. I, I guess I didn't have a ton of expectations, but it was. Um, it's it's much more like a play. It's very um I don't know, pinter like. Um obviously it's a novel and it's internal a lot of internal and uh you know, it <laughs> it's funny. I guess it's never going to be a TV movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because of uh, certain circumstances, but also it it would be very strange. Like it, it literally, the thing that it reminded me the most of is the breakfast club, which is not, not, not a lot of logic to that other than that. That's what really mostly it's about. It's about sort of getting out, graduating and, uh, telling the truth about, uh, everybody masturbates or, um, you know, I'm a virgin or whatever it is. And, uh, it's a good read. Interesting yeah, read. I, yeah, I think I think if you're reading Stephen King, you shouldn't skip Rage, even though it's been self-banned. Yeah. It's easier to find, and you should read it. Um, what about, like the sexual repression mm -hmm. issue? We didn't say too much about that. No, nope. it's a big theme. In fact, a lot of the the group therapy section, which is quite a lot of the book. Yep. Is revolving around teenage sexuality, mm -hmm. and and isn't there like the the one holdout, the one that's interesting, like the one mm -hmm. guy who doesn't like. He's a mirror to the yeah. There's no there's that one guy that they beat up at the end, right? Mm -hmm. That the whole class beats up because uh, he's like not part of. He's not one of them, right? Mm -hmm that point like everyone else has sort of agreed like that one girl who could have escaped went to the bathroom right back. everyone is like cool with the situation but there's that one guy who's still like resisting but he's also like 
the bad guy sexually, as mm-hmm. I recall. And, and there's a lot of interrogation about, like, the slut, you know, you know this, like, condemning the sexuality of women and, mm-hmm. and should we do that? And I think the conclusion is we shouldn't, um, clearly. But he's struggling. Um, he's struggling with male versus female yeah, sexuality. There's so much. Here's what I can't get away from. There's especially in his early work, like the first decade of his writings. There's so much like moralism about sexuality, mm-hmm. and this is. I almost want to write it out one day because mm-hmm. I see it so often. I haven't seen anyone really talk about it. You know, later on in his work, he moralizes about alcohol and drugs mm-hmm. a lot. Like AA becomes a running trope in King's later works because he went through AA, right? Mm-hmm. And it helped him. You know, I'm not sure it, how many, what percentage of people it's helped, but it was something significant in his life. And so he becomes a little bit moralistic about drugs and, and like in uh, Dr. Sleep and Revival, AA are like is central to those stories mm-hmm. and this like recovery narrative. But in his early works, there's so much about like monogamy. There's so much moralism about monogamy, about relationships, and and sometimes even weird ways of talking about relationships. One thing that just makes me cringe is when like when I reread The Stand, mm-hmm. is the way you know that story, right? I, I I've seen the movie. Yeah. I know the story. Like, I've never 99, read it. Like ninety nine point nine percent of Americans dies die Americans die in a disease, and then the survivors group into camps, good and bad. Eventually, good wins out through a sacrifice. It's very biblical, yep. in a way. <laughs> but there, are, but everyone pairs off. That's the thing. Like everyone pairs off in relationships, and and there's actually lines which now I don't know if you would write it this way. Mm-hmm. But I'm like sensitive to it. Where like the men will like they'll they'll like run into another group of survivors and they'll be like, oh, this is my woman. Hmm. So and so, and he uses this, this language comes up a lot. It's like it's so possessive, <laughs> and he's he's really moralistic about monogamy. I think in his early works, <laughs> and there's a little taste of it here too. And I don't know. He's taking I, he's taking what not, things from the institution that he likes, and he's keeping those, and then he yeah, he leaves the ones that he does. So this is this is literally the problem, right? So. You've got you've got a guy who's who's raging against the institutions uh, all around him. Uh, uh, in the Running Man, it's it's such an awesome critique of uh, American capitalism. It's amazing. I love that book. Um, and then you've got you know he he's like ah this you know Christian moralizing is not for me. On the other hand. This little part right here is not so bad. Yeah. I mean, so, so it's often the time you've got some religious leader who uh, started his religion because he w- didn't like the way the institution that he was in was running things. Now I've got my own one. Here's my set of rules. Well, time goes by. Uh, you know, that institution c- concretizes. The guy dies. And then some other guy comes in and says, hey, wait a second. <laughs> starts their own thing, right? So it, it's kind of like a lack of long-term vision. And it, look, he seems like a good writer, seems like a nice guy, but I don't trust his judgment on self-banning. So um, while uh, I understand it's traumatizing for 
I like, I, I was thinking about this book as, as the shootings were happening in, you know, the two that happened in the book, I guess the killings. Um, I was thinking, wow, this is, sh- should I do a show on this? <laughs> and I'm like, now I know. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, don't let his, his worry. I, I was worried. I don't usually worry about whether I should do a podcast or not, but I, I don't think I should worry. I think that his, his worries and the problems that he's pointing to that this book has are minor compared to other problems that he's ignoring. Yeah. Because he has a legitimate grievance that he's working out in this book and literally nobody died in this book because it's all fiction. I know it's uh, shocking, but uh, we can read stories about people being killed and not go out and kill people. I've, I've done that many times. I've read a book where lots of people died, didn't go out and kill anybody. Now, maybe we could <laughs> change this story up, uh, make it about veganism or something like that, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about killing human beings. And uh, most people read Stephen King and this book have not gone into their school and shot anybody. And yes, it's true that crazy people will pick up books and uh, be inspired by them. But I think more are inspired by TV shows or uh, leaders on television, you know, saying, uh, let things go, uh, go, go for it in a subtle hint, uh, meaning and not so subtle hints, right? That the institutions are full of these legacies of horror that are much more important to changing the reality violently than this book. It's not a, it's not even a nonfiction manifesto. It's just uh, an incident in a fictional character's life. Um, and he's not as bad as you might think. He's bad. Not as bad as you might think. I, I'd like the friend, the loyal friend, who's going to come visit him. Oh, in the hospital. Yeah. I think that that's like uh, that that ex- that relationship is sort of um, the only good thing in his life, I, other than having getting it on in the actual classroom and getting um, getting some truth out and making people feel better. The, the the fact that she came back from the bathroom, um, you could, uh, you know, going off to the bathroom to pee, and when she comes in and everybody's staring at her, um, we all pee, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And uh, it's the same thing, right? That's really what the, the there was a kid when my sister first went. To, we moved around a lot because my mom was a teacher. And we would move from school district to school district and place to place. One time, well, we were starting school, and my sister made a friend in class or whatever. She's very young. And she uh, <laughs> she came home and asked my mom, my friend, blah, 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 says uh, she doesn't pee or poo. <laughs> <laughs> and my sister's like, is that true? And <laughs> my mom's like, no, she pees and poos. Um but there's this idea that, you know, you can't admit to something like that. And that's really what this is. This institution is 
is uh, just one of the many, you know, the school shooting is not the only place that shooting could happen. Could have happened in the church. Could have happened in, uh, think of all, remember in the 80s, there was a going postal, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, there was a kind of um, workplace, shooting. workplace shooting, right? Um, whereas a, a mass shooting at a uh, at a movie screening, right, sort of freaked people out in Colorado for a while about going to the movie theater and maybe the violence of Batman doesn't, the logic is very weak, right? It's not doom that makes people go out and kill other human beings. It's not, it's not, uh, this book. And if, if, if you're in school and you have a Stephen King book in your locker, it's probably because you're a thoughtful person who wants to read something and it's not something they hand out in the school. Maybe it's in the school library. Maybe. I guess we're done, right? Yeah, I guess. Talk about most things. Yeah, interesting book. Most things, everything I wrote down. Oh, I I just think this fits so smoothly into Stephen King's other works that I think it's weird to single it out for self-banning. Yeah, it's like there's nothing that's done here. I'm literally defying him works by doing a show on it. That's what I like about it. I'm defying. Well, I was him. looking up like reviews. And mm-hmm. There's a Guardian review. So mm-hmm. this guy in the Guardian, this is back in 2012, was doing a Stephen King rewrite, reread. Mm-hmm. Um, and when he came to Rage, is this the right one? Was it the Guardian one? Um, there was a couple. I think it was the Guardian one. But he he said he actually asked Stephen King. <laughs> Include this in my re- my read through review, The Guardian, and he he was encouraged he, he encouraged him to do it. So can, we can just what cowed media this. we have now. We have to ask permission of the authors if we can read one of their books that they don't like. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking terrible he journalism. Like it. It's 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 a good book, and that it was written by someone like barely out of high school or still in high school. Um, it's impressive. Very impressive. No, I didn't yeah, realize. It was his first novel. That early he started writing, beginning it in high school in 1966, finishing it four years later after rediscovering a draft in a box. Wow. So, yeah. Good job, Stephen King. Mm-hmm. Great writer as a kid. <laughs> This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Uh, yeah, that was a Will suggestion. Guy? Yeah. Yeah, he's a farmer guy. But uh, that's also read by my dead friend, Greg Marguerite. So I will uh, be happy to listen to that. Um, uh, Blade Runner. I saw Marissa was playing it uh, already. Yeah, I haven't got it yet. Me neither. I don't know if I want to play a video game. Uh, well, you do in my workshop, even though I don't have a workshop. It literally was like a workshop. That was really strange. I, I, normally, people... Uh, you showed up in my dream twice. 
Dreamt I returned to my workshop late for a podcast after. Yeah, okay, that was weird. But then the other one, uh, did you you only read the first one of that? Dreamt on a whim, I went to see a movie in a theater. Yeah, I'll go back and check. There I bumped into Evan. Uh, it was an old movie, a thriller police investigation set in Hawaii about a series of murders of migrant workers in a cabbage farm. No wonder Evan showed up, right? Uh, it stars Mel Gibson and the military industrial complex about halfway through the theater manage uh, halfway through the theater manager apologized for a missing fifth reel and they started playing a very strange experimental musical SF film about a group of very buff wrestlers male and female with wings they protested about and their wings were like leathery skin wings rather than feather wings they protested about their poor working conditions and flew out of the arena in the first scene, looking for greener pastures in Europe. But as they flew, it became clear that there was something false about their world. Little glitches in the scenario. I told Evan this movie looked pretty good, then promptly fell asleep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounded like, it. oh, this, this might be better than that other movie we were watching. They put on this other movie because they didn't have the fifth reel for... for uh, and and then you you for some reason you did the thing you always do in your podcast. You mentioned something called Nat Natty Bumpo, and I'm like, I still haven't looked <laughs> what up Natty Bumpo is. So, you know, Natty Bumpo isn't he? He's the leather stocking. He's I don't know. Seems Fenimore Cooper. Oh right, right, right. I think I did look yeah. it up. <laughs> That's a <laughs> Natty Bumpo. He's the uh, superhero frontiersman. Yeah, I really like uh, Last of the Mohicans movie with um, Michael Mann. That's amazing. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, the I, I like that book could never be translated to film quite. I've read the book. Stance like there's a scene where Natty Bumpo dresses as a bear. Like, <laughs> yeah, to, to like confuse. The Indians or something. It's I am tweeting that image right now. <laughs> there's a famous there's a famous bear scene. Yeah. Uh, watch I uh, I found that on the Wikipedia entry for Natty Bumpo and I just tweeted it out because it looks great. But Natty Bumpo comes up a lot. People men like mention <laughs> You mention him a lot. That's that what people. that's what makes me think <laughs> like why Natty Bumpo getting mentioned. I don't know what a Natty Bumpo is. <laughs> I'd forgotten that it was <laughs> Nathaniel Hawthorne's character. Hi, Cooper. Phil, uh, Cooper. Cooper. Uh, James Fenimore Cooper. Why did I say that? Uh, Natty, Natty, uh, Natty Hawthorne. <laughs> 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 That's funny stuff. Yeah, my daughter just turned fourteen. It's about time for her to start reading Stephen King. Well, she's she give she's her this got all one. the books. Give her this one, she'll totally relate to it, not having spent all that time being well, tortured in first school. Six years. Did she? Um, okay. In, in regular public school, but for seven, once they get to seventh grade in Taiwan, it's like they're in the meat grinder. Yeah. The test, everything is like tested and ranked. That's and really fucking terrible. Shit. It is know. really fucking terrible. I mean, she still goes to school with kids, but it's like twelve kids and. It's all and they're field all different trips. ages. There's a lot. She actually complains about too much physical education. <laughs> they have about playing and running and right. exercising. 
she thinks too much. But, well, maybe. You know, could be. It's also kind of. It took her a while to like get to get used to like not having tests. Like, mm. we keep doing the same kind of problems in math. Mm-hmm. Her first year, in particularly, she kept doing the same problems in math, and the teachers like, "Why are you still doing those problems? You already mastered them." Mm. And she's like, "Well, I didn't know I could move on." And the teachers, it's really just a facilitator. It's just a mm-hmm. person who's there, but. Is her books and stuff. Mm. She said, just move on when you, when that you think you know good. it. And really, they're doing a lot of reading. They watch a bunch of movies. That's what she's you really should into do. The classic, she's into the classics now. She's, good. Now she's really interested in the Ottoman Empire. Wow. For some reason. <laughs> Weird and interesting. She didn't really explain to me why she's interested in the Ottoman Empire. She likes Empire. Fez's, man. Give her a break. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fezzes. Um. <laughs> she was like texting me about how cool Mahmoud the, the Great was. <laughs> and I just wrote back, yeah, fuck those Byzantines. She said something like, yeah. <laughs> those Romans. You should, you should get her to watch those young Indiana Jones. Those are so good. There's a whole thing on oh, the yeah, Ottoman Empire there. Yeah. I'm a big... Big fan of watching lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of um, uh, movies. Just I've been kind of millions of movies. Old I've movies. I've had too much to watch. So uh, many. There's so many shows I, now. It's impossible to watch everything. Yeah, I Not just, even I close. I finished the boys. I got Lovecraft Country. I mix. I feel mixed about it. I think. It's all I style, think it deals with the racism. See. In the way that the cancelers, they should watch this, and then maybe they'll get it. Hmm. Maybe they won't. But this is not a, a series that wants to cancel Lovecraft, which is a good thing. It didn't seem very interested very, in Lovecraft at all. It's not very love. It's not really Lovecraftian. It's kind of no. more with the, maybe the mythos and the tropes. But I think that's it's a just not good interesting thing in a way. But it's. There's some really good stuff in there, and there's really? some stuff that's... When yeah, does the good stuff happen? Because I, I watched the first couple. And five, six. Yeah, five, six. too far. Too much Too much investment. No, three's good. Episode three, episode four is kind of horrible. It, it's so much like Dan Brown. Like, it's the yeah, problem is I don't like that. Dan Brown thing. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, you got to do the code. It's like, that's, that's fine for an Indiana Jones movie, but... yeah. And Indiana really Jones like movies suck compared to the Indiana Jones Chronicles. Um, yeah. I, I just finished um, the but, last episode. Do, like when he goes back, when you see the flashback to Korea, that's uh-huh. a great episode. Oh. Because well. the, the main character, Tick Atticus, mm. he like outright murders a Korean nurse. Oh, okay. So you learn how fucked up he is. It's, so the deconstruction of myth which I think is a lot that's going on there that they're trying to do. It carries on to like the U S empire wow. in, in interesting ways. And so anyways, there apparently that there's a shift of nurses. The whole point of view of ep- that episode is these nurses, Korean nurses in South Korea. And one of them was the good friend of the main protagonist of that story. Who's a Fox spirit. Who's mm-hmm. a, uh, actually a Fox spirit. 
but they're best friends and she's a communist spy uh-huh. and they find like the transmissions coming from the one shift and these this black officer drags out the whole shift and says like which one of you is a spy and then he immediately shoots a woman uh-huh. and then he goes points the gun at the next person and says which of you is a spy and he shoots but he like the gun jams and he mm-hmm. says private come here and you're about 30 minutes into the episode at this point, and it's Atticus. It's the mm. main character, right? And then he immediately shoots the woman. Wow. And then finally the spy confesses, like, I'm the spy. And then they take her away. And that's implied that they tortured or murdered her. I mean, that's... That's some like, institutional really violence at, for you. It's really good at breaking down myths, because this is guy's supposed to be the hero, right? Mm. It's really supposed to make you uncomfortable. It does. But there's, there's a handful... The last episode was not good, but eight, the eighth episode, was legit scary, hmm. I think. It was actually the only scary episode so far. I, I think, I think it goes to really, ten, right? But Two more? Yeah, I guess it's probably today. It should be out. Okay. I should check if it's out. I'll, I'll finish it. Uh, I don't know. There's that. I've been watching Yellowstone. I've been what, uh, watching I think the I heard John about Brown that. series. Oh, what's that called? Is that what... Uh, good bird something. Okay. Good something bird. I, I don't know. Um, good bird. I've, I've, good I've bird. been re-watching all of Next Generation, and I've last night I finished the episode right before All Good Things, you know, the final two-parter or whatever. Yeah. Um, it feels like it's uh, the series should have gone way longer because there's stuff that is, is kind of unresolved, Like, and there was a shitty episode where Wesley comes back and and uh, the the episode's good, but Wesley's arcing is stupid. <laughs> it's like the the traveler from season one returns and says, "Hey, uh, you graduated, and now let's go fly off into the universe." I'm like, that's stupid. Wesley, I think they, the writers probably just want to get rid of Wesley. I guess so. Yeah, the Wesley was all handled up. so badly. Yes, know? he like, was. He's either like saving the ship. Yeah, it should have been. This guy interested in science, learning to be a Starfleet officer. Yeah. But instead, they're like, second episode, here, be the ensign. Yeah. Be the honorary ensign and yeah, save the ship. Yeah, fuck up. That was bad. It should have been much more of a now, process. Now, you know whose arc was really good is the second to last episode before that, all good things. Uh, ensign Roe comes back, um, and they ask her to infiltrate. She's just taken some training. She's promoted to lieutenant. And they ask her to take on a a secret uh, undercover mission to infiltrate the Maquis. Um, And she does that because she wants to show that she appreciates Picard. And then she sees, you know, these people are on the right side. And uh, she betrays Picard. And uh, goes off and becomes Mackie. That was like, um, that was, if you want to see the interesting, like, you know, maybe the Federation isn't as good as you think it is, that's the way to do it. Not the fucking yeah. retarded way they do it in Picard. Just terrible. This is, uh, this is really good because you understand why her arc, right? You know, why she's rebellious. Yeah. And, um, and then. When they set she, that up earlier when you first meet her, yeah, you learn her as a rebellious character, right? And it, it's such a good arc for her. Um, that's 
there's so many great like I just love Barkley. He's so fun because yeah. <laughs> he's like he's a serious kind of problem to this setup that they set up in the very first season. There's a, some episode. I, I'm gonna go back and watch the first season because I didn't watch it when I started re- this rewatch randomly. Um, the there's an episode in the first season where Picard defrosts a bunch of people who are from the 20th century. And one of them's like a first contact, yeah, yeah, some industrialist That's a episode, yeah, and and he gives them a bunch of speeches in that episode. One of them is, "We don't do money." <laughs> Another one is like, "We're all about improving ourselves and flourishing," you know. Um, and then uh, that's a great setup, but and that's the promise of the show. But undercutting that and questioning it, which they did in a number of ways, you know, like they had some end of a season episode where aliens had infiltrated the admiralty or whatever. And I was like, Ooh, that was dark. Um, but it sort of never pays off later on. And yet there's this, yeah, it pays off. They do it a bit in deep space nine. Yeah. That's my mom texting me. But you know, Edson Rowe, like Mm -hmm. she was originally supposed to be in deep space nine. So she was, Oh really? Produce the, she was supposed to introduce the Bajorans, and she was going to be Kira's. She was going to be like on the like the Kira character. I, but I don't know. If she was like because Kira, a big part of D Space Nine is Kira not being Starfleet, right? Right. Yeah, that's great. Like the mixed command. But I don't know what they were going to how they were, if they were going to do that with with Roe. But she was supposed to be the Bajoran. Maybe the, the actor didn't want to do it. But for whatever reason, yeah, they, they didn't carry that on, so they had to find a different end game for her she went on to do uh that actress went on to do homicide life on the street yeah i know um but she hasn't really had a great career since then um who knew that star trek would be such a good career i guess well maybe she's had a wonderful life a lot of a lot of star trek like lead characters don't you know what's so amazing to me is how good some of the act like I was thinking about how Data the actor Brent Spiner he plays the violin on the show right I assume that he's okay at violin <laughs> um, and uh, I guess the skill that um, what's his name has uh, Riker playing the trombone is probably better than than uh, than I don't know Bill Clinton playing the saxophone <laughs> not that I'm a trombone guy but they they were really trying to show this idea of flourishing, you know, like uh one of the things that happens is you have Picard or um or uh Crusher uh setting stage performances up, you know, in their free time, in their off hours with, you know, data acting and Riker acting. Um and they they have a performance or they, you know, data and his trio play a thing or Riker plays uh, some jazz in 10 forward and I'm like this is a really good way of showing uh, what you know post UBI flourishing looks like is people like sort of interacting in their community it's it's kind of utopian right Um, but I was realizing oh yeah like the reason um, Crusher teaches uh, Data to dance is because that's on her her resume right (laughs) 
<laughs> she she took jazz dance, right? She took tap dance as an actress. Um, and there's this funny thing that happens with uh, Picard, right? Is he in that episode uh, Inner Light? He learns to play this alien flute. And uh, those are not his hands, actually, on the flute. Oh. They're somebody else's. But he's making all the face noises, you know, face things like he's playing. So it's like um, he's the sort of the only untalented one musically or whatever. But they also have him uh, doing a lot, they do a lot of Shakespeare for him, you know, like, I guess it's just fun to do. But uh, that's a really a cool thing. too. Didn't oh, they create that yeah. noir guy? Yeah, that's right. Dixon Hill. So it allows him to be an actor. Right. Because that's what he's good at. <laughs> he is good. That's exactly what he's good at. <laughs> Not good at choosing scripts. Not at all. Oh, my God. That Picard sucks so fucking hard. Um, the, did you see this Star Trek communist guy? Is uh, <laughs> He's interacting with the um, Discovery couldn't believe like why would you bother with this sh- shit maybe he, he seems to like discovery I'll, i don't I, understand I it. like the guy so i like the guy too i just don't understand what he sees in the show it's a piece of shit I, like, what i've seen of that it. interview the one i sent you uh-huh yeah i did something like he says something like you know he name drops getting from there to here which is like a shout out to the song at the beginning of enterprise uh-huh that, yeah, he's definitely a fan. That, um, and it works. Like, he does more with that line than the entire series of Enterprise did. That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I think it's... I'm just a gatekeeper, I, I, I Evan. Because like I think he did admit that the show fails as yeah. often as it succeeds. But, you know, so will the revolution. Wow. So, well, so very what? optimistic. Yeah. <laughs> wow because everyone hold, upholds like holds the left to these standards like y- you must be perfect like any mm. fault in the Soviet Union means, mm. like Marxism is totally doomed as if capitalism isn't killing <laughs> millions every year uh, is like, it successful? I mean I guess it, it is yeah. <laughs> it's just it's I, how, many, I, how many great co- communist countries have fallen? Is it just the one? Just well, the Soviet Union. Yeah, that's China it. Has it. Oh well, well yeah. I guess what Western? What about uh, Eastern Europe? There's a bunch in Eastern Europe because Vietnam's still yeah. going and Cuba's still going. Yeah, the Eastern Europe. Those were all like imposed. But the thing is, like the the decline of the of uh, socialism in Eastern Europe was always debates within the Communist Party over democracy and authoritarianism, mm-hmm. and democracy went out, and I think that's a good thing. The problem is they couldn't sustain the socialism part of it mm. um, for whatever reason. And in many cases, like when Russia, it was just like these right-wing reactionary capitalists like Boris Yeltsin, who are just ethno-nationalists who uh, loved capitalism. Promoted by the United they, States. They seize power. They seize power, yeah. yeah. Um, drunk. You know, drunk. Uh... I, I'll complain all the time about China and what they've been doing with their socialism recently. And I don't like their kind of their imperial their how they're be, trying to become like imperialist powers mm-hmm. and certainly I totally disagree with their attitudes on borders and the way they're picking fights with everyone around them but I mean if you look at just like 
every demographic, every every developmental statistic under five mortality rate, food output per hectare, life expectancy, whatever the basic fundamental development statistics. China had the best gains in the fifties and sixties. Since the fifties and sixties, China's development in those core statistics has declined. Mm. They have more fancy cities, better roads, better weapons. But in terms of improvement in basic quality of life, those improvements remain in the 50s and 60s, the time that most people, even Chinese, think were a disaster. Mm. Like They even have this word, the lost decade, referring to the cultural revolution. Mm-hmm. But like the life, the life of an average Chinese person improved greatly during the cultural revolution. What would uh, the cultural revolution... In the United States, look like, like I, I, to me, what I see as the the major issue is there's these elites, the university people who thought that um, I'm better than everybody else. Everybody else is deplorable if they didn't go to my yeah. university. Um, I'm happy with the way things are. Um, Biden, 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 <laughs> or whatever. Um, a cultural revolution in the United States would ha- would be against those people, right? It would be against well, the Marxist theory of cultural revolution is like for Marx, the idea was you have your economic superstructure, your economic foundation, and that informs the culture. Mm. Right. So if you're in a capitalist society, you'll have a capitalist culture. If you're in a feudal society, you'll have a feudal culture. So it's kind of the economic system informs the culture. But the problem with revolution, especially Leninist societies, where the idea is we're going to seize the nation we're going to seize the government we're going to implement revolution kind of through the party this Leninist communist vanguard state idea Mm -hmm. but then the culture is still old I mean if you're in Russia you're still kind of semi in a feudal culture in China that too you're sort of still in a feudal culture for most people so the problem is we have we don't have the economic foundations of socialism yet, but you know maybe we can get there more quickly if we transform the culture. Certainly, we need to get rid of the feudal elements or the capitalist elements in our culture. So that's the idea of cultural revolution. I don't know if it really works, but in practice, the Chinese cultural revolution was class war against bureaucracy and against yeah. institutions, against yeah. even the party itself by the masses. Right. So, what's people's problem with that? Like it's I painful. These, like I'm surrounded by these liberals, my coworkers. They're they're mostly liberals. They're like, oh, the Cultural Revolution was a horrible thing. Right. And it's like, so you have a problem with people struggling against institutions and and oppressive institutions. And it's like, well, it, it caused all this violence and disorder. It's like, fuck you. If you're not in America or Western Europe. You're experiencing the terrors of capitalism every day. Mm-hmm. Like if you're in fucking Yemen, Jesus, or if you're in Africa, it's just like capitalism is like horrific. Like it's violent every moment, mm-hmm. and it's very. It's that's the problem with the liberals. They they have this privileged perspective. Mm-hmm. Like everything is fine, and you can't. No, any kind of violence is bad. It's because they haven't experienced violence. I think that that's it. Uh, that's it. it. It's it's a kind of um, 
It is. It's they're too high in the air. They yeah. don't understand. It's it, it literally is the let them eat cake problem, right? Like, yeah. Well, well, if they, it's, they uh, go to the food bank, that's terrible. We need to give them better food at the food bank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a, a little meme in Canada because uh, Justin put out a video showing him shopping and giving money to the food bank. Um, and a lot of people were like responding to it in a very good way, which is like, let's get rid of food banks, UBI. And I was like, well, yeah, when did the food banks come in? Oh, during Reagan, right? And that's right. It's like, okay, now this is a new permanent way of being charitable. It feeds into this idea of like, uh, when I go to the grocery store here, they ask me if I want to give money to the chair, you know, the charity, the local charity. I'm like, no. <laughs> First of all, I need, I need to keep my money. But second of all, like, I don't know who these people are. Um, it seems to me that a lot of this stuff is, it's a kind of a charity scam. We've got a big we, uh, this evil also, company. It, we. It makes everything there. individual. Like, if you don't give right. a dollar at the checkout, you're a bad person. Right. And it's effective. It's not that we're in a bad system because. We need to collect dollars from people at the checkout line. It's called taxes, yo. You, ta- yeah. you do taxes. This is this private private uh, volunteer tax. Not a good system. I'm not even sure taxes aren't obsolete. I think, like the modern modern monetary theory says, taxes. Are I agree. Obsolete. I mean, maybe to regulate inflation. Uh-huh. That's the only purpose of taxation or equality, right? It's like we just we just find it odious if someone has a billion trillion. Well, it's power, right? So Money is them. literally power to get yeah. shit done, right? The, so I was thinking about people people about what they feel about Elon Musk. The thing is, is I think he's pretty smart, uh, but I'm I'm grading him on a curve, right? Because <laughs> most yeah. people are fucking in the public eye are really fucking stupid. Um, you know, Chomsky, smart guy, um, sometimes dumb, mostly smart, but he's not much in the public eye. Uh, Joe Rogan is not a brilliant man, but he has interesting questions. But when you, you sit him down to talk to uh, Elon Musk, Elon Musk is just not, he's just not retarded. That's his, his, yeah. his issue is he's semi-smart, where most people around him are complete because uh, he has interests. He's actually interested in stuff, right? Which makes him passionate. Which makes him want to do stuff. Which makes you know, yeah, he he likes making money. But more importantly, he has interests, and that is what is the appeal to me. It's not that he's super genius. It's that he has interests. Um, but most people think of like, oh, he's such he's so amazing because he's so sm- he's such a super genius. Uh no, not really. But he's he's rich and he has interest. Like he's like he's actually interested in rockets. He's actually interested in saying kind of jokes. And and yet, um, that privileged position of him being able to say uh, we will coo whoever we want um, is him joking. I think, but also it's not a joke because that's what they do, right? It's like that's yeah, that's kind of kind of horrible, right? But um, he's. He should be taxed so that he doesn't get too much power. Because you don't want to have people with way too much power. It's dangerous. It fucks things up. 
or corporations that are spread out to a whole bunch of, like it's really insidious the um you know the market's doing well like my mom made me she just endlessly harangued me about it and i'm like there are lots of reasons i don't want to do this i try to explain it to her and she just like she's not interested so she made me um sign up to do some uh i don't know stock market investment shit and uh, i just said uh, this is money i'm never going to see again i'm doing this because my mom's annoying me um and uh you know i filled out some forms and stuff but that's how i treat it because if you start to care about that shit then you're you do care about whether the stock market's doing well and whether you know trump's in charge or biden's in charge as long as the stock market goes up in the long term it doesn't matter that's it's it's very insidious right the solution to people's problems is talking about stocks uh, once uh, I, I, I get to talk to um you know i don't talk to strangers in my building or on the streets generally but uh in PUBG, <laughs> sometimes you're paired up with people and hearing what they say most people are fucking idiots like just like total doof doofus uh i don't know retards is what i would call them doofus retards just talking about garbage nonsense or you know boring things or screaming kids or whatever um but every once in a while like you hear some weird stuff like guy saying yeah you should put all your money into airplanes they're gonna open up the airline soon <laughs> like oh, dude this is not what you should be spending your time thinking about. Even in PUBG, he's doing that, right? Like, that's a weird, <laughs> really weird thing to do. Half a, my colleagues do this. Yes. They're, they're all cryptocurrency. Yeah. They're, they're always talking about investments and stuff. Yeah. I guess we put our money, because I've been making all this money. Yeah. China. Just kind of, you know, I'm more conservative, so. The last Gold. bunch of money I sent, <laughs> we just put into U.S. debt. Mm. And and the last bunch, my wife, a bunch of her investments matured, and she's like, "What to do with this money?" I said, "Let's let's keep it. We can do something with it. Maybe when I get back to Taiwan." Mm-hmm. But she ended up putting it all in like Asian debt now. <laughs> she's just like whatever the banker says is like secure. Like, mm. This is a secure CD. We can guarantee five percent. She's like, well, "Okay," but my coworkers, when I tell them this, they're like. No, you got to put your money into this or this. You'll get twelve percent or seven percent. Yeah, I, uh, my mom tells me I like wanna... I hand her my things and I said I don't want to know about this, and then she proceeds to tell me how my stocks are doing or how much money I earned, yeah. and I'm like I don't want to know this. I, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to know about it. And the, the, it's it's a trap, right? First of all, if you spend any time, like I'm really int- I'm really interested in cryptocurrency, but only in the like I did it because I was interested in it. I want to like sort of grok it, you know, um, and then I stopped doing it because <laughs> I grokked it. Um, <clears throat> and the thing is, is it's a fascinating concept because I think of how freeing it is from a particular government. Right? It's nobody's in charge of this. Nobody can print more than what's available <laughs> it's just what can be can be ground out by doing you know running the math and i talked to my friend luke about uh how interesting cryptocurrency was and he was so dismissive of it 
but for the wrong reasons. He was saying like it's a waste of a, uh, it's an environmental problem. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> well, I actually heard this. Like the the minting of them takes all the electrical power. Oh yeah, it uses a lot, you know you you can use a lot of electricity. Um, you know if you're do, grinding out cryptocurrency, it is um, it's computation, right? And you can get a whole bank of computers all running. Uh, GPUs running uh, mining, um, and it's a, it's and I'm like, I, I couldn't even like he he was so dismissive I couldn't even like make the analogy like yeah you know how gold's extracted right? That's <laughs> 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 like what you do is you take the most toxic chemicals on the planet and you splash them on rock and that melts <laughs> the gold out <laughs> and then they they can't they make these giant like it. it Everything else, like the fact that we're burning electricity, um, not a problem. <laughs> That's the opposite of a problem. You can heat your home with your GPUs, you know. We, uh, we could. We don't need to be burning fossil fuels for for energy. No, no. In fact, the you know the the smart people who want to make money by burning, uh, you know, they they do it in. Iceland, there's like this big setup in Iceland where it's free geothermal. You know, they just set up right on on top of a geothermal vent and use the mm-hmm. that to generate electricity and heat up the the uh, local surroundings of um, Iceland. It's not a problem. Um, that uh, that that thermal energy was coming out one way or another. It's fine. Use it for that. What's funny is it's an artificial mining right which is so weird it's like um it it, that's why i was so interested never played it in uh, eve online like when the stories would come out about how they do these it's a meta game in a sense because it's so you know nothing's illegal there's no illegal moves right you know about eve online yeah i think i heard of it well, it's it's like a it's basically yeah, a, we know it, so. it's it's not really a space sim game, but it's a space empire game done in real time. Yeah. It's kind of like World of Warcraft, except it's you know a universe, and there's clans and stuff, but there's no like events or you know scripted stuff done by by the company. They only implement you know new technologies and stuff. They don't set up storylines, but basically it's like evil capitalism in space and uh people set up banks to you know put their their money in and stuff like that and then the the banks will have like a (laughs) a heist where they literally hack the bank and or a financial officer um steals the money (laughs) in the game and there's there's no like external admin coming in and say no that's illegal and we're taking the money out <laughs> so it's like a wild west of um of uh reality um if you can you know get enough shit together enough to, it's it's like a really interesting thing and it is interesting because it's not like um you know civilization where it's it's a script and it goes you know you have a beginning and a middle and an end um it's it's ongoing. So if you got hosed, you had your money stolen, you can quit the game. <laughs> or you can, you know, try again. <laughs> Which is, and, it, and there's no ending in sight. It's uh, fascinating in that respect. 
but it's all art. It's so what's so interesting is that like we're setting up cryptocurrency mining operations because <laughs> because we can't trust our own governments not to print them. We have to set up some arbitrary rules so that some rando in Iceland can <laughs> you know mine this fakely artificial scarcity gold. It's so weird. Mm-hmm. I, I, unfor- uh, this is the unforeseen that you know Heinlein's not talking about. Um, it, really interesting. I don't know. That's why. That, that's that's why I don't want to spend my time thinking about what Trump's doing or stock markets or anything like that because there's really interesting stuff going on. We're we're lucky. We got uh, this amazing access to the internet. I can get, steal any book I want, pretty much. And now, uh, in, in that post scarcity environment, right, where things don't cost anything unless it's time, um, you get to be uh, discriminating on a different kind of level than how much does it cost, right? You can discriminate based on what am I interested in, what what what, what would be interesting. Which is very different than what is available. There's no there's no boundary on yeah. what we can talk about. Certainly on media, I think post scarcity. Totally. Except, but when I try to tell this to that that econ, like he's my foil. <laughs> yeah. <days>. So, <laughs> economics teacher. Yeah. Who like doesn't can't see beyond his nose <laughs> on things like. Like, how do you not see that we're post-scarcity in, like, knowledge? Like, he, he'll he tell me, like, I think it's, he's a libertarian, so he, so he kind of believes he's against copyright. <laughs> Good. But he says, like, you know, it's fine to download a game because you're not destroying, you're not, you're not stealing an original copy of something, right? Like, if I have a dollar bill and someone steals it from me, I don't, can't get the dollar bill back, but someone steals a video game from my machine through file sharing, I'm not losing the original. So it's got this convoluted argument why that's okay. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you not see that that's post-scarcity? And then when I, I tell them that sounds exactly like post-scarcity, it's like, well, the electricity still costs money. Something like this. Like, well, it, it's like he hasn't thought true. about it. I guess there is a limit to electricity, but... There's a, you know, I think we're post scarcity in food. Doesn't mean we don't have to we 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 don't have to keep growing food. It's just we make enough food for ten billion people, and a lot of that's meat, which the energy that goes into making a pound of meat could feed, you know, it could be like seven pounds of grain. Are we post scarcity on energy? Is is the question? We are right. Like potentially, we are. Apparently, uh, they just somebody just announced that uh, electricity via solar panels is now cheaper than everything else. Yeah, but we don't have the infrastructure for it yet. Right? Not yet. For some reason, there's no Green New Deal. Not that I. Yeah, Biden. I, I wouldn't. Conf- I wouldn't. <laughs> it was so I love his incoherence. He says it'll pay for itself. I'm against it. <laughs> His, uh, somebody pointed the, out that every everything his reaction is punch left. 
right? Like any any time you ask him a question, he's not he's not uh, been trained up for. It's just punch left. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, it's like uh, Bernie's out there campaigning first. Goddamn socialists! I have nothing to do with him. <laughs> it's it's really a bad time. Oh like, man! Like we had, there's so much potential, <laughs> and no one wants to grab it politically in the U.S. at least. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of gross. It is. It's really. I can't get behind Biden. I'm not going to vote for that guy. How could anybody? Like, no, he's going to run away with it. He's going to run away with it now. Yeah, Trump it seems likely. Totally fucked up the last month yeah. or two. I like a few months ago. I thought Trump would still pull it off, but but that means you get Harris instead. On everything like now you get the first black black president. A black woman president. Yeah, like Biden will just like be in the nursing home in a year. Yeah, a year, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Seems like he can barely get through a couple sentences. Well, we've already had a black president. Yeah. No, but now, now see, we'll we got the uh, now what we're going to need the first trans president, and then, then finally we'll be able to. Uh, oh, speaking of which, I was counting. Somebody did a tweet. And I was counting like the number of uh, things after LGBT. It's getting close to ten. At some point, there we're going to run out of characters on Twitter. LGBTQ. Let me look. I, I saw some like explanation of all these different sexual. Like, I don't know what has to two, be broken down. Two like, asses, is two like, spirit. There are people who like like there was a term for people who like to date but don't like sex. There's another term for people who like sex but don't like to date and have relationships. It's like why do we have to, why does this see. have to be an identity? It's it's uh, like, it's completely stupid. And the reason it's completely stupid is because all they're doing is adding things to it. So where's disabled? When's yeah. that gonna be added? It well, should so be I've, on there. I've been watching these old Simpsons episodes uh-huh. just, just kind of for fun. Uh, you know, because kick ass cartoons always sort of works. Even when I'm, you know, without a VPN. That's a uh, so service, I guess. That old Simpsons. And, like, Marge's sisters. Marge's sisters. You know, one is kind of asexual. The other is kind of involuntarily asexual. Mm-hmm. There's, and they actually explore that very early on. This is, like, 91, mm-hmm. 1990. They're exploring this. But they're not, like, labeling these people as, oh, this is a an asexual lesbian and this is a you know whatever it's they didn't have to label this it was just like these are characters labels and handles are super fucking dangerous yo you are this now like you know if they that's who you are like patty and selma would be like lesbians or something or, or 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 asexual queers or something cis they'd be non non binary or whatever Maybe they are. I mean, Simpsons is still going on. I haven't watched it in like 15 years. Yeah, no, it's still going on. Um, so they probably have done all this. They probably I don't. already re- cut all these characters. I don't know. The, there was a... Uh, Jimmy Dore did a really amazing <laughs> attack on uh, the guy who runs The Simpsons. Apparently they knew each other back in the day. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> Matt Gurney or someone? No, the, the guy. Uh, producer guy, I guess. Or oh. head writer or whatever. Um, in any case, um, I also saw they had um, they were making fun of Bernie. He's like a little kid in the schoolyard. 
And he says, uh, uh, free goodies vaccinations should be <laughs> free. And then all the kids hated, hated him. Not because they didn't want free goodie vaccinations, but because he was always saying it. And it's like, oh. <laughs> it was kind of like the, the thing is, is we know you're right, but we also don't, <laughs> we also don't want to hear it because that's not what is acceptable right now. <laughs> right? Like the, the, um, but how else do you, exp- maybe the writers there are right in, in <laughs> explaining like why, why Bernie didn't do better. Well, it's be, why he like, didn't why he didn't do better is because when they they cheated him, he didn't call him out on it. Right. They, since his COVID, my dad's basically become like a socialist and said like you were right about everything. Wow, that's crazy. Does he suddenly you know, get COVID? He's even like pro UBI now. What? Which what? he was against before, but he's still like you know Sanders was too far left or something. <sighs> Sanders is not far left. That's the problem. Yeah. And my mom still thinks he was like too, like, doesn't like his attitude. Like, it's, pro- it's, proper, it's sheer was, propaganda. Like, people say it on TV like, and then they hear it and they think said, that is my thought. Yeah, that's what it is. Because I listened to several hours of Sanders' speeches and I. I he's not I dynamic, said, but he's not. Fine. A little too far left. It's just, he just talked about policy. Yeah. He said, I'm going to do this, this, this. And there's nothing hostile. He, about him. What's really interesting he's is he's literally soft, not actually. corrupt, right? He didn't take his chew off banging on the, the he should have maybe, but he didn't. He's, uh, he, the thing is, is, he's literally not corrupt, right? He's not taking any money yeah. from anybody. But when he sees corruption happening all around him, he doesn't call it out. And yes. it, what's so interesting is how do you get into that position? Well, that that position is only accessible by somebody who fits these criteria. Who it's like a, a ecological niche, right? There's the only way to be a cop um, who who um, isn't isn't racist, um, but remains a cop is to not call out the racist cops. <laughs> right? The only way to get into that position and have as much power as he did, which is, you know, state senator, or senator, I guess, for a state, um, is to... Uh, <laughs> if people like him because he's not corrupt, but the only way he he could retain that power is by not calling out the corruption all around him. So, yeah. uh, like, when uh, there's a speech where... Um, Obama endorses uh, Bernie Sanders as a se- you know running for Senate, and uh, he says he says you know nice things about Bernie that are true, and then the substance of his thing is that Bernie's clothes are funny, like <laughs> like he's he he's like where do you shop? <laughs> and this is this is the same thing that um, Bill Maher says right like. Like it's when like he's roasting wearing, him, something. He, right? Oh yeah, he's roasting him for his lack of style. Like, wh- wh- how come you, how come you don't shop where where me and the other people in this position that you're in shop? And the reason is because he's not corrupt. He shops at Costco like regular people, and yet 
so many people are willing to like let that corruption happen because it, they think it's their betters or something. Like like they think that Biden is a nice man, a decent man. Like, dude, he fucking raped a lady. Um, his son is <laughs> grafting uh, off of Ukrainian energy corporations. And Biden's getting congratulated for, you know, having meetings with those people. The reason he's got that job, 50000 to 80000 a month, uh, for a, a no-show job where he doesn't actually go to Ukraine, right? <laughs> Except maybe once a year. Is because his name is Biden. Like, that is absolute 100% corruption. And he can't call him out on it. And the only reason he can't call him out is because he can't be that person because he wouldn't be in that job. And that is that is the issue. So, yeah, don't vote well, for Biden. Like, <laughs> yeah, right, like, this is like why, like, well, I guess this would have happened if any Republican had won. But, I mean, as long as Trump is there, you can always say, like, I'm not that guy. Like, I'm better than him. Uh, that like, is literally like, his like policy, in, right? Uh, like, back in 2001, 2002, 2003, it's like, as long as you weren't the guy who flew the plane of the building, it's like, <laughs> you were better than them. <laughs> like, Bush was still better than those guys who flew planes into the building. Wow. So, you know, you got to support them or something. It's it It limits your political... Imagination. If all you care about is like not being that other guy, his slogan is "Build Back Better," which concedes the point that the country is it's not blue maga. It's blue maga. Yeah, it, it and and so the person who got zero votes uh, for um, uh, I'm talking about Kamala Harris, right? Didn't win a single yeah. delegate. Um, is going to be president soon. <laughs> oh, good. That's the one you want running things. The one so many people think is stuck up, um, hateful, um, who treats kids um, who are not attending school as uh, truants and arrests their parents for it. That's the person you want in charge. That'll solve everything. Jesus Christ. Ah. Oh man! So, uh, take the long view. History it'll come to us eventually, and uh, that's why we can look, look at look at looking backward. <laughs> and uh, I I put Fall of Moon Dust on the schedule because I found a book, a uh, Reader's Digest book at a thrift shop that has illustrations, and I want to rip those out, uh, scan those out, and put them up on the post. That's why that's on the schedule. And also because I haven't read it. That Sin Hellcat book, did you try? Did you try the first chapter of that? Of what? Sin Hellcat by Lawrence Block and Donald Westlake. Not yet. Okay. (laughs) I listened to the first sentence, and it was so funny. (laughs) It's like, I saw Deborah the other day. She's a whore now. Like, (laughs) wow. Sounds like a novel. <laughs> Sounds great. Um, so, uh, uh, you I don't think you've read a lot of Lawrence Block, right? I read um, The Girl with the 
green necklace. long green long green eyes long green no, the heart one. the girl with the long the green estate, heart the real estate one it's called the girl with the I long green killing heart castro killing castro yeah, yeah that's and, a good one uh, the what's it called the feast of hmm. i forget them was it like a... I've read like four of them. Okay. I, I bought them all at once. Mm. I really like him. I, he's, They're he's, all like hard, case, hard crime case. He's a Biden guy now, but uh, he's, um, you know, he's really old, which... No, makes... I, I get like being for Biden in a way because I, I just got to get like... <laughs> you got to get your stocks... stocks you got to get past Trump. Like, Get rid of that guy. It's not going to open up. Like I don't believe it's going to open up political space. I don't think you're going to be able to push Kamala and Biden to the left. It's just whatever Trump was going to do to the political system, he's done. So, whatever. Well, yeah, that's true. But what there's gave... no point to have a second Trump term? No, no, there's no point to it. There's no point to it. But, but the thing is, is what gave you Trump? <laughs> Biden. What well, gave it's yeah. So we'll just have a worse Trump next time. That's exactly that. right. So yeah. if you don't break the cycle now, you get a, it just gets worse and you know like I'm keep digging. Voting. I'm not voting for Biden. Uh, that's what well, but see they don't like see that. Win. They don't see that. It like, sounds it, like he's gonna win. Oh yeah, probably. But the Supreme Court's gonna be like locked in right wing. They, the they've been that way slip, forever. But the Democrats are useless, so nothing's going to happen. Oh, they're useless on purpose. It's okay. it's so fucked up that it's not going to change. And how long is it not going to change for? It's like, this is this is so fucked up. Like, here's the, the, the scary thing. It's like, Biden's people have already said, like, we're broke. The country's broke. Yep. As if money... Austerity. A There's a good solution. Like, so he's already, like prepping austerity and like if no stimulus comes like in the next couple of weeks it's never going to come this is like that's this like pelosi is should take the deal she's not that pump off for whatever the two trillion yeah. just do it just take the money she's not going to she doesn't want to give him the win they should they should do what you guys did. Just cut checks every month for as long as it takes. Uh, it wasn't even checks. It's literally direct deposit. I know. It's, 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 it's even better. It's, it, you don't have to go to the bank. Um, and it, 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 it's, it's really useful for me because I have a massive assessment coming up and I'm going to be able to pay for it. I was not going to be able I would have to get a loan out. But I'm going to be able to yeah. pay for it now. This is amazing. And that that's just more work uh, for the economy. Well, cool. even in the U.S., like when they had the, the just the one-time payment and the unemployment, uh, so they, they you got your unemployment plus like six hundred a week. Mm-hmm. That like lowered poverty rates in the United States temporarily. It's like, yeah, that's how you eliminate poverty. It's like eliminating homelessness is the easiest fucking thing. <laughs> they don't want to. They want to make that. That's the, the stick. Can, you don't even have to expropriate houses from rich people you just have to say like your empty houses 
the government's going to pay you rent to put homeless people in there. Yep. And they don't do not it. good rent because this is useful useful for the system. Oh yeah, it's, it's a, a it's a stick. I've literally used it myself. I've said to students, "You don't want to end up homeless, do you?" <laughs> <laughs> and they don't treat it as a reality because they come from a very wealthy background. Generally, um, <laughs> it's very hard to treat it as a reality until you've like been worried about being homeless, you know, <laughs> and then it becomes frightening. Um, and the stick is effective, but yeah. yeah, that stick is there for sure to fuck people up. All right, food like that's the thing. Back to post scarcity, we're post scarcity on food. We we waste enough food to feed like three billion people every year. Yeah, well, not post scarcity on good food or post scarcity yeah. on food because. Maybe not a good food, yeah. There's a lot of fucking but, terrible food out there. But there's, like, we don't, like, farmers can't actually invest in permaculture and heirloom heirloom crops and things like that because, like, they can't, you can't like, if you make heirloom tomatoes, you can't sell them to the food processors because their machines aren't set up to take those types of tomatoes. Yeah. It's like, the, the food processors say, we can only take these types of tomatoes that are, like, Produce like the seeds are made by are owned by Monsanto. Made so me think we about be, we could be so we could produce so much more food with permaculture methods, but it wouldn't fit into the industrial food system. You know, on uh, Next Generation, whenever um, uh, Deanna Troy gets near the replicator, she always orders something chocolate. Um, yeah, and then there's a few characters who actually cook, including Will Riker. Uh, who's from Alaska, right? Um, and I think on Deep Space Nine there was a uh, the dad cooked or something. Uh, his dad was yeah, a chef, right? Dad. Right. Um, a restaurant. But it's actually a cultural um, loss um, that's uh, happening. Like there's a cultural loss um, by not cooking, and made me think uh, we should add that Treconomics book to the podcast because. Um, uh, the schedule because yeah, um, I was thinking about how one of the things that happens is somebody comes on the enterprise and they bring their recipe for a particular flavor of tea. Um, and then, oh, uh, some, oh, yeah, some lady in stellar cartography falls in love with Picard or vice versa. And uh, Riker keeps getting requests from this lady and he doesn't know what to think about it because he's she's involved with the captain, right? Like, how do you want me to do this? <laughs> I don't want to have to just agree because the captain, she, you're the captain's bedmate or whatever. And then uh, he lies to uh, Crusher about where he got the recipe from or for this tea or whatever because they have breakfast together. Um, but it also made me think like um, I've started focusing on uh, the holodeck programs that are actually, there's like scenarios that it's only briefly mentioned that, you know, like the character. Like Dixon Hill scenario it was written by somebody, not by Picard. Yeah. It, it there's there like an author, right? That's, that's right. They're hollow novelists or hollow deck programmers, right? And they're popular. Presumably, they're popular on Earth, and all the kids are addicted to them, <laughs> or whatever, programming their own Minecraft. You know, maybe that's what they do in school all day. It's fun to think about. But the copyright on this is really interesting too, because. Uh, when Picard takes that recipe out of the replicator, 
Um, it doesn't cost him anything. You know, there's no credits or anything like that <laughs> because it's infinitely replicable. Um, so it's all about like knowledge. And that's kind of like what I, I think about a lot when I say, uh, you know, I can get any audiobook for free, um, any of this for free, any of that for free. And the reason I, I can do that is because I know where to look and I know how to look. Um, so it becomes about taste being more important than price and knowledge being about how to access and, and even the name, know the names of things to be more important than anything else. So like, um, if you've never tried a food before and the cost of ordering that food is zero, you're more likely to try that food. And when you like that food and that food is rare, being a taste maker is a, is the it's like kind of very uh Cory Doctorow, you know, woofy or whatever. Like, ooh, he knows a new thing I've never tried before. This holodeck program sounds awesome, right? And that's really interesting because it is a kind of scarcity, but it's a scarcity of person rather than a scarcity of uh object or, you know, money or food. It's a scarcity of um uh, and as, also, you don't want to be homogenous. You don't want to be like everybody else, have the same costume as everybody else. So, very interesting to think about that. You know, like these holodeck programs somebody hears about. Uh, there, there's also an episode where um, they put on these glasses. Like, um, it's like some sort of computer game where they put on these glasses and it zaps your eyes and you, you uh, put a frisbee into a hoop or something right like a little mouth and it it's a addictive programming thing that some aliens made oh, is that is that an early episode uh, no it's somewhere in the middle uh maybe it's third season or something that like one. that but um they all programmed like there was some sub programming going on that made the crew of the enterprise into the willing servants and Wesley and his new girlfriend from uh, oh, who's played by they, Ashley they, they Judd. Saved the ship, right? Yeah, they saved the ship. Ashley Judd and uh, <laughs> Wesley Crusher uh, saved the ship. Um, and uh, what was funny is they they would replicate that thing, that game, right? They it's like a PlayStation they put into the replicator. Um, and so when their people are asking whether they'd played it or not, I'll go replicate you one, right? Like it was. Um, even physical Xboxes right, are free. So there is an econ- there's a, well, I maybe I'm over talking it, but basically there's a lot really re- watching the show uh, for its uh, post scarcity is very different than watching it for the science fiction elements. I was watching it for both, but some of the ep- episodes that are um, sort of light on science fiction. Um, are still worth watching because of sort of background stuff that's happening and like making you think about like there's a school on board the ship and uh, Keiko O'Brien is the school teacher at one point, or maybe that's on the deep space nine. Uh, and, deep space nine should become the teacher. Right. It's like, so um, she's not a professional. She's not getting paid. <laughs> she has a bunch of kids in school, but they're not that, not a big class size. Um, what, wh- there doesn't seem to be exams, but there's ent- exa- entrance exams to Starfleet uh, Academy, right? Mm. Um, and then the, the way they do, like, there's a an episode where 
Deanna Troy wants to make uh, full commander, and she has to like do some scenarios, and she keeps failing this engineering problem on the holodeck. And Riker says, "That's it. You're done. No more tries. You failed. I'm not <laughs> going to te- teach you this anymore." Um, and she, she uh, she's like, "No, I'm going to study this." So she goes back to her her room and starts studying all the blueprints again. And then uh, Riker comes and says, "No, you're done. You're not going to do this." Uh, uh, and then she's like fuck you (laughs) (laughs) and uh turns out that um something he said was the hint which was um you have to order somebody to their death and so when she goes back into the holodeck um she has to order Jordy to crawl into a a tube full of radiation to save the ship um it's like oh yeah that see that is a test it's like the kobayashi maru thing right it's fun it's uh, that kind of education is fun because it's not about you know memorizing the blueprints it's about uh taking responsibilities and seriousness and character tests and like it's it's like growing as a person that's what education should be it's it's got star trek is really valuable that's why i'm i'm so resentful of picard just shitting all over it with with uh, that lower decks, it's like there's no shitting. It's just it says, "Oh yeah, all those lessons we learned, yeah, whatever." <laughs> let's play. Let's let's reference those. It's more like having a conversation with somebody who liked a lot of Star Trek, right? It's not it's not really a they know Star Trek, well, but that's not the, the problem. The thing that bothered me most was like like in lower decks. Of all the things in Lord X, was the episode where they're talking about like villains, and they're like, because normally the star, the cliche Star Trek debates like Picard or Kirk, who would win in a fight or some nonsense like this. <laughs> but, they, but they actually went one step up. It's like who had a better villain, right? And I think Boimler oh, was saying like, Picard had a stronger villain in that Ferengi or someone. Yeah, and. And Mariner says, "No, Khan is the greatest villain." Stupid, and, you know, because he's super engineered. Who, who loves said, that? Spacey. She said he's a space seed. Oh god, which makes no sense because if you actually watch Space Seed, that episode of the original series, have you seen, you've seen that episode, right? Uh, yes, of course. Yes. Yeah. So the point of the title Space Seed is. You you can't look at it in the context of Wrath of Khan because what Kirk says we we put these we finally relocate these people to the other planet with these genetically engineered super abilities and he says like we're planting a seed in space mm-hmm. so this it's a space seed it's very optimistic actually mm. it's not him as a villain in fact it makes no sense they call him a space seed as a super villain <laughs> it's, it's like a non sequitur yes it is. It's just a reference. It says, I know this thing. It's just a reference. Yeah, that's the point. It's just a reference to the title of that that original series episode. Yeah. And not talking at all about Khan as a character or anything. What makes me think is everybody on that show's writer room knows what they're doing and knows what they're doing is not real Star Trek. But they like real Star Trek. 
but they were asked to do a comedy show and it's not funny uh, but uh, you know what i think writing writing really good sf um with that premise is probably really hard um it ideas are hard to come by so you know you have to steal from from you know like i, I was looking what uh, if if I go search through next generation tweets, they're mostly like comparing, like there's one that is a, it's an inversion. Yeah. Darmok is an inversion of arena from, um, the first series. It's very interesting. Yeah. I just added Treconomics, uh, to December 3rd. I assume that's okay. Yeah. That should be fine. I, I don't expect the book to be amazing. Um, but, uh, it should be interesting. I'll, I'll probably get into deep space nine by then. And, have some more uh, space nine economic stuff it's not i mean it's got good economic stuff maybe by the end you'll be convinced that we need a a, a grand negus rom series series <laughs> honestly I, it's been so long I, I just barely remember what the grand negus was no because he's like the head of the frangi yeah he's like the head of the frangi empire but he's just like super capitalist, and basically. I, I want to know what the equivalent of a daemon is. Is it, is it like a CEO? <laughs> yeah, but Rom was Quirk's brother, right? Yeah, he's not a capitalist. He's actually becomes a socialist, right? Starfleet guy by the end. But he gets it's all it's all because the previous Grand Nagus gets seduced by Quirk's mother, whatever. Yeah, um, but he converts. Them. This is like the this is the argument that Star Trek's the West Wing in space. <laughs> is that like, oh, if only you get the right guy to be Grand Nagus, you know, Frankie will be fine, right? <laughs> if you just put Rom as the Grand Nagus, Frankie society will be reformed, right. whatever. But we know that's not real. We know that first he's got a non Frankie wife in a very sexist. That's a, that's the other thing I really love about the about the Ferengis is they're they're super like lascivious towards women and there are no female Ferengis in the uh, in the original Next Generation right no, like they don't exist. In fact, that's all described in Deep Space Nine. Like they can't they don't can't even wear clothes. Yeah. Now Rom is married to a Bajoran woman by the end of Deep Space Nine, and so he's going to be Grand Nagus. He's the head of the Ferengi, and he's got a Bajoran wife who obviously will wear clothes. It's <laughs> one thing to say, like, like the leader has different opinions. It doesn't change society. And that's why I think what a, sort, a series about the Ferengi with this leader yep. who's progressive, but in an entirely reactionary culture, would be beautiful. It would be like if Sanders had won the election. <laughs> like... He'd be assassinated, right? Like, uh, probably, probably. <laughs> if he could do anything, he'd be assassinated. So Rom's going to be dodging assassins the whole time, you know. Plus, what his wife has to put up with, <laughs> and then in the context of the Dominion War, because he becomes Grand Nagus after the Dominion War, so you're going to have Cardassian refugees. Like, I can barely remember the Dominion War. It's I haven't watched yeah, any of this since the show yeah, ran. So. When you're done with Deep Space Nine, I think you'll agree with me. This uh, is a much better way to explore contemporary issues of war, it. of capitalism, of, of refugees than whatever Picard did. Yeah. And it would have been organic to what was set up in the most recent Star Trek. Maybe you can get uh, the uh, Orville spinoff version of Ferengi's. 
Maybe. Because <laughs> that's probably more likely than... Huh? Yeah, there's more coming. Is that out? Uh, no, that not out? yet. Like, I, I haven't been... No, I don't think it's out yet. I, I can't but, keep up with shit. I got no. Archer, Yellowstone. Yeah. Well, I, I haven't watched Archer Brown yet. series to watch. I finished The Boys, which was amazing. The second, the second the season? Series. Okay. Second, second season? season? Is it okay? Yeah, because I've only seen yeah. the first season. It's as good as the first season, I think. Okay, good. I heard some stuff that it was bad, but um, I don't I know don't when. Think, uh, I don't know what would be bad about it. It it's kind of the same stuff. Good. I read. I read the comics. They were good. Um, they got a little. Long. I think it might be. It might be off comics. Oh no! It is yeah. off comics. I, I I don't know that the second season is, but um, the show is it, comics. I, I did read that like. Stormfront in the comics is a man, and here it's a woman. I barely remember. Still a Nazi. Nazi. Well, Stormfront. Second season. Literally. (laughs) It's in the name, right? Second season is about Stormfront. It says late 2020 for Orville. So, I guess December? We will begin. The stand is coming out in December 2020. Uh, TV show? Yeah, a new series, ten episodes instead of just four. I I, I didn't think that the that that's a more of a Scott book than a Jesse book because he's really mm-hmm. into religion, and I don't I I don't understand like religion to me is like evil, and it seems like very yeah, very I have more religious. Of a William Jamesian kind of attitude to religion. Various like I read Saint Augustine. I, I love Saint Augustine. <laughs> Oh, I love the Church Fathers, actually. He's spinning up stories. The Neoplatonists, I love that shit. So, oh yeah, so there was something Neoplatonist the other day. But the thing is, like, I oh yeah, that's what uh, Picard said. Religion when I was young because I was raised religious. Picard says to um, kind of to Data, and it's taken me like ten more years to get over that. Like, <laughs> I don't even care what atheists have to say anymore because. <laughs> They don't have anything to teach me, but I there's nothing to say. Christians have a lot to teach me. Oh well, Christians have a lot to say now. So I'm kind of, I'm not going to ever believe again. But I think there's a lot of interesting. Oh, it's metaphor, beautiful stories and metaphors. I think the thing is, like the problem of evil. Just for an example, the problem of evil is a great way for someone who doesn't believe in God to convince them that God can't exist or the God that you think doesn't exist, but. When you hear smart theists respond to the problem of evil, it's more interesting than anything the atheists have to say about the problem of evil. I, I, I must tell you, I took two courses at university on philosophy of religion. They are really great courses, really fun, yeah. really interesting. Um, but the truth is, um, we are living in hell. Life is hell. Yeah. Um, you're not, you, you don't choose to be here. It's pain. Um, sometimes there's less pain. Um, but then you reproduce that pain by creating new life and, you know, uh, just had nine puppies die that didn't need to die, but had to die because of the system we set up. It is literally hell. <laughs> Mars is mm-hmm. heaven, literally, because there's nothing alive. Can't feel pain. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's, you can focus yeah. on the positive, but being a, being alive is uh, knowledge of being dead soon, 
and more importantly, taking great pain in the in- intervening period. That's really horrible. What what all the all the evil that happens on the earth is because of life. So, yeah, um, God is not who you think he is. <laughs> also, he doesn't exist, as far as I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think there's a good response to the problem of evil, but. I mean, the best I heard was like Plotinus, maybe. Mm. Like, I think Plotinus had the best response to the problem of evil in saying that evil is like, like it's it's closer to like the holes in the fact like that matter can't replicate the mind of God. I mean, that's kind of the Neoplatonist take on it. There, there, there was a line if you're um, like Plotinus the, in. Those, uh, third century next generation picard says to data who's playing um who's the wizard in uh the tempest from shakespeare he's playing the wizard whoever the wizard is prospero yeah prospero yeah so he's saying to data's doing his performance uh on the hollow holodeck or whatever and uh, picard's sitting on a rock listening to him and then uh, it's a really good performance. Um, it's at night on you know some island, and he's got his spell book in one hand and his uh, staff in the other, and he's doing a really good job with it. Very good actor, that Brent Spiner, when he's pretending to be an actor. <laughs> and Picard is sitting on a rock looking bored, um, and he's, uh, Data f- sort of stops the middle of a line and says, I notice you're not paying much attention. <laughs> Am I doing something wrong? And Picard says, it's too dark. <laughs> it doesn't mean like, like, um, uh, the ideas are dark. It's literally too dark on the stage. So he says lights 20% increase. And, and then he says, and should I be thinking of anything in particular while performing? Yes. Picard, the Shakespearean actor. Right. And he says, you're, uh, you're a neoplatonist. Uh, transition. This is your last spell of creation before transforming into a, a new age of enlightenment. And it's like, oh, it, that's why that play is so good, right? It's so amazing. I'm super big fan of The Tempest. And it's so amazing to me that Picard has this great insight, right? And Data is such a good actor. The actor playing Data is playing an actor is such a good actor. And the stage is beautiful, right? And it's he's performing for an audience of one. They're not recording it, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think about the fact that that actor Patrick Stewart is fucking idiot. <laughs> 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 I'm like, well, these are really strange ideas all swirling around each other. Because the words that are coming out of his mouth, all those great speeches, that's not him. That's just not him. <laughs> it's the people in the writer's room going over scripts and saying how can we punch this up how can we really show the show the meaning of humanity's flourishing (laughs) this guy who thinks that the show should be about trump was like oh my god (laughs) and uh, identity politics and oh my god so fucking terrible so yeah I, i really like picard don't i do not like Patrick Stewart. There was a show he did that I I thought was really interesting. Um, did you ever see it? It was before Picard. It was about him. He was a former British... It was a comedy series. He's a former British lord or some 
high up guy. He was in the army. He fought in in the uh, uh, war in the Falklands. Um, and now he's getting old and he'd moved to the United States and he had like a talk show where he was like a Fox News style talking head. And um, it didn't do very well. Um, but what I liked about it is he played an idiot, <laughs> kind of. Um, but he was also like, um, it's kind of like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm because he was rich and he had a lot of friends. And they, the show wasn't great, but what was amazing was it was it was interesting uh, because it was about a character who was radically different than Picard, but he was also English instead of French on that show. The name, what was the name of it? Uh, Patrick Stewart TV find show. It. Stewart. It ran like two seasons. Uh, show. Uh, Blunt Talk, that's what it's called. Yeah, his name was Blunt. 2015 to 2016. Blunt Talk. Talk. 20, 20 episodes. Uh, oh, executive produced by Seth MacFarlane. Fuck. That makes sense. He's trying to get him to do a Star Trek show. <laughs> he says, I don't want to do that. <laughs> a British newscaster moves to Los Angeles with his alcoholic manservant and a baggage of several failed marriages and a host to to host a sanctimonious talk show. Yes. Might be good. It was. It was. I. I it got sort of crappier as it went, but Elizabeth Shue was on there. Um, and... Uh, mm-hmm. It, it, it's just like uh, I look at the actor Stewart, and I think, oh, he's uh, he's like just fallen so far, and uh, you know, like that first episode of the card was just so fucking awful, like explosions and beam ins. <laughs> they they literally threw a, like an eighty year old man down a flight of stairs, and he's fine. <laughs> yeah. And he's like up and running. It's not like he went to the holodeck, or n- n- not when like they went to come to uh, sick bay and fixed him. He's just like up and running shortly thereafter. I was like, "What the fuck is this piece of shit?" <laughs> and uh, this show is completely different. It is a comedy, and it's no. It it really should have been, you know, him on the vineyard, like. And then Riker comes to visit. Yeah. And they've got a problem. And it's a small... Make it small scale. And and Riker is having troubles with Troy. Mm -hmm. Troy is bitching about his beard. It's too long. (laughs) (laughs) Picard says, well, you got a marriage just compromised. You should shave your beard (laughs) a little bit. Keep it down like you did in second season. You know what? That's an <laughs> I agree. Make it a half hour. Make it not a comedy. Um, with funny bits, I, I watched the shit out of that. Um, what's funny is at the end of Next Generation, not the movies because I haven't watched those yeah. since they came out. But um, she's actually uh, she's in love with uh, Worf. Worf, but, yeah. And I don't remember if she shows up. I don't think she does show up on Deep Space Nine. Um, but yeah, they're they're but Worf's with that Dax and Deep Space Nine. By the way, yeah, way. yeah. Well, you know so that relationship didn't go anywhere. No, but um, yeah, it, yeah. That that could be part of it. Then, like, 
Yeah, Worf, old and, Worf shows up. And then Riker says, like, yeah, she wants my beard too long, but but she totally banged Worf a bunch of times. And, <laughs> you know, he had a long beard. Well, what about what about his brother shows up? <laughs> uh, Thomas Riker shows up. No, it should be like Cheers, but it's at the Picard Vineyard. <laughs> Thomas Riker shows up and they make a menage a Troy. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think that might be an episode title from Next Generation now that I think well, about we it. We could come up with much better series. Oh, dude. I make them small scale, well, uh, the sta- you, low stakes. You should definitely come. Like, like oh, wow. Well, he's going to be old. Vineyard, the actor's going to be old. Harass, Picard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, you know what? He shows up every Wednesday and they play chess. Yeah, and, and they play chess. There you go. Cue's outside of time, right? He, yeah. Well, you could use him. you could use the same actor and just de-age him for the episodes. I wonder, do they even like? Is that actor still around? He must be. Uh, he's uh, he's really good on screen. It also makes me think he's super creepy. I notice like how close he is, like physically close to everybody like he gets in all the actors do this actually on the show they're like because the way the screen is cropped right it's like four by three all the actors are basically standing in each other's breath (laughs) like picard's standing yeah next generation they're like they're standing so close to each other that they're basically uh almost touching at all times the actors um, but Q gets even closer. That like you could feel the heat from his skin if he was that close. Mm. And he does it uh, to both males and females. But he's like kind of like a Biden, <laughs> he's like yeah. sniffing their hair, <laughs> like it's kind of creep. Like I'm like, is this an acting choice or is this in the script? <laughs> because <laughs> he makes me feel like, oh my god, that's kind of creepy. Um, what is what is Q's name? Type in Q. The actor. I know I've seen him do audio dramas. Uh, Q Trek. Q Star Trek actor. John Delancey. That's right. John Delancey. Yeah, he showed up like as a bad guy on a, uh, you know, guest stars for shows. Yeah, he doesn't look too old these days. Well,. What, 71? 72. Okay. 72. They could de-age him a little totally bit. Totally de-age. Totally de-age him. No, he, he's older to make Picard feel more comfortable. Well, yes, but age. but no, he comes he comes on stage as a young, and then says, oh, is this making you feel uncomfortable, old man? Right? And, <laughs> and then they switch him to... <laughs> how about a beard? <laughs> Give myself a gray beard. You know where this guy was? He wasn't he like uh, he was Jesse Pinkman's girlfriend's father. That's right. Yeah. In Breaking Bad, right? That's right. And he didn't look too old then. No. I think he's aging okay. Yeah. He could do it. He was on My Little Pony. And he's on uh yeah, S Stargate SG one. That's what it was so amazing about Star Trek. Is they used to cast these no-name actors, and that would catapult them into a status that they never would have had otherwise. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, Picard walking down the street is Picard. 
and even guest guest stars could um you know become famous at least within a certain group it's so crazy that they're rebooting all these shows now you know from 30 years some show from 30 years ago is getting a new show well yeah i mean but like literally they'll just do another season after 10 seasons uh you know in the 80s they did that with x-files for a while they were like yeah i don't know are they still doing that i don't know they were really bad though the first product placement in it fucking terrible the thing the interesting thing like i only watched one at one season i don't know if there was more of it but they didn't like i thought they were just going to do like a serialized story they didn't it was just like Mulder and scully investigating weird shit yeah i don't know i don't remember it being that good no it was it was not good like they didn't go all into the mythology it was just like there's this weird shit it's because the mythology was fucking awful that's what the truth is this made no sense yeah, X-Files never had good mythology. No. But uh, that the, one of the movies was good, though. It had the Russian head experiments thing. Um, don't remember. The last movie. Oh, he shows up on, on Lower Decks? Huh? It says Q Lower showed Decks? up on Lower Decks. Did he? It says in an episode called Veritas... I think they mention Q a few times. I don't think he shows up. John Jelancey is Q. I don't remember that either. Where's Veritas? That's episode 8. Episode 8. That's the episode where it's the trial. It's the, the, the Roshaman. Okay. Episode. The trial episode. I didn't it's watch not it. not a trial. I just mentioned. Says he was there. He's a voice. Yeah, a voice so actor, a, obviously. Fight for like one line. Oh, well, that's stupid. <laughs> this whole show is stupid. Yeah. Jerry O'Connell's it's, good. Why did they waste him? It's kind of stupid, but. It had a few moments. They killed the Bajoran security officer in the last episode. He, uh, I'm not he didn't crying any Bajoran, tears. Though. I don't know. No, like, he just he wore the ear thing, so he's Bajoran. That's what Bajoran means to them. Yeah. No, it was it was a waste of time. Still, they're still not dealing with the Dominion War in any meaningful way. Lame. Very, very lame. East Space Nine is my favorite. Always will be. It's what I thought was my favorite too, but I'm really enjoying what's left of Next Generation. Um, uh, and it has some dogs. It has some dog episodes. Actually, Voyager also has a lot, a lot more dog episode, oh, like fuck. episodes. Like it's full of dogs. They did weird, fucked up shit in Voyager. But their characters were lame. Like, what's, uh, you know, you can always turn to Data. Just make an episode about Data. You know how many Worf episodes there are? Fucking tons of Worf episodes. Yeah. And, you know, maybe there's not many uh, Riker episodes compared to Worf episodes and Data episodes. But even the Riker episodes aren't bad. And and I admire his his acting chops. 
guess the Troy episodes, they could have done better with the Troy episodes. There's some bad like, Troy episodes. Oh, I can't, I can't, like, do my space reading anymore. Something's fucked me up. But there's good ones. One where she's in this last season, I think it was, she she wakes up in her quarters, but she's a Romulan, right? And then... Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And, like the, and, and the story, why they kidnapped her is actually, it makes sense, kind of. Um, there's a whole bunch, there's a whole bunch of things that are good about, and there's very, like that fucking stupid, there's one where the whole ship turns into a Aztec pyramid episode. That's stupid. Um, there's like a a few dogs here and there. Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, but generally that gives a chance for, for, the data guy to act but you know what he's data. he's good at acting like a shakespearean actor and bad at acting every other way <laughs> his his uh he does sort well, of a also like picard being the the archaeologist or something loves him play that too but it's too close to earth mythology yes yes and it literally it makes me think of it's supposed to be aztecs and that's stupid. it is yeah it's just drawn from Aztec mythology. Yeah, it looks very Aztec-y. And, and that, that's cool. And maybe it would have been good if it was rewritten somehow. Um, but the the way they get out of it sucks. But the original series did this. Like, there was already that episode in the original series where they meet Apollo. Yeah. And then it's it's basically Apollo. It, was, it wasn't a good episode, though. Yeah. It was okay. And I had well, some interesting say things. About most original series episodes. Yeah, that's true. Most, They're most, kind of... most of them. Are, I mean, in comparison, they suck to Next Generation. Yeah. On the other hand, you don't get there from here <laughs> without you know Next Generation doesn't exist without the, the original, and it was amazing for its time, and well, still I think worth that's watching. A good science fiction idea, where like the Greek gods or aliens. Yeah, just wasn't executed very well, uh, and, and you know, having seen it multiple times makes it. And, and in comparison, seen lots of stuff since then. It's doing different stuff. Yeah. All right, I'm off to bed. Good idea. Time to go. I'll see. Uh, see you next week. I yeah. guess for farmer. Uh, for the farmer, yeah, I'll send audio sometime uh, before. <laughs> All right. I'll see you. Thanks. Bye bye. Great talking yeah. to you.